The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hey, this is Scott Norton, and you're listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Burial the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is Keeping it strong style With your host Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome To Keeping it strong style The Ace of Podcasts On the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy Josh Smith. On today's show, we'll review nights three through six of G1 Climax 33 and cover all the latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Please support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our pro wrestling tea store, prowrestlingtees.com slash social suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPWEXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com. Frequently updated and with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and share plus, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPWWorld to the next level. You can visit NJPWEXT. US today for details. Young boy, we are uh, six nights into G1, and I'm already feeling a little bit of G1 fatigue. More importantly, we are at Keeping It Strong Style episode 295, the road to Keeping It Strong Style 300. Yes, and we, we got something good planned for you guys for that episode. Actually, like, yeah, we do, but then at the same time, if you look at the schedule, there's not much happening that week. <laughs> it's like right when you get back from your uh, from your uh, excursion trip, and <laughs> may, we're like, maybe we'll be talking about New Japan's involvement with Wembley. I don't know. Maybe we'll talk about RevPro. I don't know. Hard to say, but there's nothing on the actual physical schedule for New Japan proper going on at that time. Yeah, there's a gap between... 
All-Star Junior Weekend and the beginning of the Destruction Tour in September 8th. So I'm guessing maybe we should see some New Japan involvement since they're not going to be running any shows that Wembley Weekend. Maybe we just roast everybody in the industry that night. We just talk mad <laughs> shit. We do a uh, live version of Shoot Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> hey, have you ever uh, seen the, the show Heels on Stars? Fuck no. <laughs> no? <laughs> no, bro. Stars is for poor people that can't afford HBO Max, can't afford Showtime. They get, you know, the poors get stars. I don't watch stars. Are you kidding me? I'm gonna watch on stars. Well, it, heels. I gotta throw out Amazon Prime, but oh, okay. You know what? <laughs> well, I have. We have Amazon Prime. I don't have stars. Well, the first season of uh, Heels is on there on Prime through I guess the Stars partnership. I don't know how it works, but I'm not, I'm not paying yeah. for stars. I have I have Prime. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, actually, I would like to have stars. Cause there's very often like I, I'm looking for a movie and it's on stars and it's it's kind of annoying. <laughs> <laughs> But I have so, bro, I've got so many streaming services, like, you know, I can't really justify getting another one. Right. Yeah. You got, at this point, you got to pick and choose and like, all right, what are the key ones I'm going to use and then cut the rest? Like, I've we got Prime. I got Netflix. I got uh, sometimes Showtime, sometimes not. We got Criterion Collection. We got Movie. I got peacock i got paramount plus i've got you know a bunch of other gimmicks that i don't even new use japan world. Huh? <laughs> new japan world <laughs> yeah new japan world which i pay for which is absurd that i pay for that that they should be giving that to me for free at this point <laughs> you know so qu- qu- quite a few <laughs> all right well yeah lots of streaming services lots of matches to talk about here this week so, As you were saying earlier, the, the fatigue is real. Bro, I have had a hellacious week and was unable to watch any G1 until today. And oh. so I just binged all four nights. You pulled a James Boyd? Yeah, well, you know, uh, I'll be transparent with you. I might have used 2X the entire time. So <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes you got to do what you got to do. And, you know. I had to get the job done, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was, I'm still, I'm still fatigued from watching all that wrestling just in one day's, you know, notice. And I would have gotten it done, you know, outside circumstances were keeping me from uh, being able to do that. You know, I, I haven't even seen like, for instance, like war games from last week. I didn't see that. Mm. I haven't seen that. I haven't seen Kenny and AAA. I haven't seen Miyahara versus uh, uh, Nakajima. I haven't seen any of that shit. Like, I, I haven't been watching wrestling just today. I had to like, you know, just get it all done. Yeah. I haven't seen, I mean, outside G1, I haven't seen much. Yeah. I mean, I did uh, go back and watch blood and guts after we uh, got done doing stuff for episode 300. Uh, but yeah, I haven't seen the Miyahara match. I haven't seen the Royal rampage battle Royal thing. I haven't seen collision. Uh, I'm not going to watch Collision. <laughs> haven't seen any of the, the five-star Grand Prix. Uh, there's just so much wrestling going on right now. If you if you watch Collision, then, you know, I, I just feel like, never mind, I won't say it, because it, it's a funny joke, but people get upset, so I'm not going to say it. <laughs> Don't upset the colliders, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Is that what they're called, the colliders? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> but, yeah, man, uh, 
th- this set of shows that felt was kind of a slog. I mean, also there were some there were some really good matches, but there's been some really good matches, but we haven't really had a truly classic G1 evening the entire tournament. And I would say we'll get into it. I think night five might yeah. be the closest we've gotten to that, but even that still didn't fully feel like one of those, you know, classic G1 nights. And maybe that's just the reality that we're facing nowadays. Yeah. Um, before we start breaking this stuff down, we got a question here from Rambo and Slam Pigs. Any thoughts on how the format changes for this year have influenced the tournament? I have enjoyed the 20 minute time limit. How about you guys? Yeah, I've enjoyed it, and I think it's changed the tournament in a variety of ways. Um, I could actually point out four things right off the top of my my head. Number one, because of the perceived time limit of 20 minutes, it's causing the overall match length of matches to be worked in a shorter period of time. You know, there's a a greater urgency, so, you know, they're, they're working the matches in a quicker fashion. It's more uh, common to see a seven or eight minute G1 match now than it would have been prior. Um, The second thing is we're seeing a lot of times where people are working up to the time limit um, more often than in the past. So there's Mm -hmm. more drama in that regard. Um, Number three, we're seeing a lot more draws than we typically have seen in G1s in the past, which you know, I think that a lot of our listeners were uh, figuring that that was going to be the case. I thought we might see one or two and maybe not deviate too much from what we're used to, but it seems like we've already had quite a few. We might have more before this whole thing's said and done, especially in the A block. So mm. that's another thing. And then number four, because of, and this isn't really the 20 minute time limit, but because of the fact that we're having, um, how many block matches are there per night? Eight. Eight yeah. Because of the fact that we have eight block matches with a 20-minute time limit, the structure of the cards are very similar uh, to what we saw during Best of the Super Juniors, where like it is all action, but we're not getting those... Cl- you know, the, the early matches are being worked very much like prelims, and then as you get deeper into the card, they're, they're given a little bit more um, you know, match time, uh, length of time to, to work their matches, so... That's another thing that's kind of changed just the overall flow of everything. Yeah, despite there being yeah eight G one matches, pretty much like match one through four, one through five, are pretty much kind of slotted in the way that the previous years would. You would have like the you know six man, eight man, the tag preview matches, maybe some young lions matches that would be in the opening part of the card, and then you would get to the G one matches, and they would all be awesome. Well, now. Yeah, with this eight-match card of all G1 matches, those first, you know, four or five matches are very short. They're, you're not really getting a lot of bangers in the, in those, on those matches, and you get the good stuff mainly towards the, the latter half of the card, which is kind of what we're used to. But again, with multiple G1 matches, you, you would kind of just want a full card of bangers. But obviously with time restra- uh, restraints and different stories they're trying to tell, that's not, you know, the layout they're going for. But overall, I am enjoying the 20-minute time limit. It, it, like you're saying, it, it's cr- it's creating urgency in a lot of these matches. And, you know, guys, you know, we'll talk about it. You know, Shingo and Ishii, I mean, their shortest match previously was like 22 minutes. And so it's forcing guys who are used to going 22, 25, 
getting close to the, the old 30 minute time limit, they're having to work extra hard, more efficient to try and get the win or they're going to end up with a draw and only get one point. So it's been a lot of fun to watch, especially in the A block, the young guys who are work, working hard every time they go out there, Suji and Narita, Umino, Kiyomiya. So that's been really fun to watch. So yeah, overall, I'm enjoying the 20-minute time limit. Um, I can't imagine the 30-minute time limit with some of the matches that we saw uh, this past week. So uh, let's take a look now. We'll uh, go through block by block and um, talk about each competitor and the matches they had over the last week. So we'll start in the A block, start at the top of the block with the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, Sonata, who's currently 3-0, and oh, he has 6 points. So on night 30, he defeated the Roughneck Shota Umino, 18 minutes and 48 seconds. And then on night 5, he defeated the Gene Blast, Yota Suji, 18 minutes and 36 seconds. Yeah, uh, it's been very interesting with Sonata because, as we talked about last week, uh, him going into the tournament as the current reigning champion was not something a lot of people expected from the offset. And then they put him in this block with the future of the company. And so last week I was kind of uh, stating that of anybody in the tournament, it almost seemed like he had the most to prove. Um, And I think that the matches he's been having, um, have been very good. They put him in there with Shota Umino, Yota Suji. Those two guys are basically from uh, essentially almost, no, they're not the same uh, generation, but they're both, you know, recently returned from excursion and um, very good matches. They both got a lot of time. Um, both very, very good matches. I think I preferred the Yota Suji match a tad bit more than I did the Shota Umino match, but the one Actually, the two glaring things that are occurring in these matches that are kind of an indictment on him, it has nothing to do with the actual work that's in the ring, but the reactions or lack thereof are very telling. Um, And, you know, there were some voices out there in the wrestling landscape that were kind of saying like, hey, this guy's not getting reactions, you know? And to, to some extent, yeah, he wasn't like, tearing the roof off of the place. But when they first turned him, when they put him through the new Japan cup, when he was on his ascension and, and his chase for the title and then eventually winning it, he was getting very positive reactions and that has slowly diminished. And now that we're in the G one with him as the reigning champion, they're almost non-existent and that's becoming a, a big problem, especially the, the, the match against Yota Suji, a former t- uh, title challenger from this past year's Dominion. They were in Sonata's hometown, and Yota Suji was easily from the offset getting the much greater reactions even before the bell rang. Yeah, so much, so much so that like Red Shoes was doing the whole, <laughs> you know, raising his hand and the meter thing because they were trying to artificially create that scenario where half the crowd's going Suji and half the crowd is going Sonata. But there was no Sonata chance. Yotas drowned out any Sonata chance. It was all Yota, Yota. Yeah. And and Suji's just looking there smiling, you know, because kind of like 
Sorry, bro. Like I'm, like, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm over he's, <laughs> in he's, your he's town. Doing the, he's he, he's waving the fingers, you know, bringing on the chants. Yeah, you, you know, know, got the big, you know, cheeky smile on. And you know, Sonata, and, um, he goes outside and he's doing, the, you know, he's trying to get the crowd on him. He's doing the whole like, you know, Hulk Hogan, you know, call to the air thing, and there'd be like a, it would work for like one second. He'd be like Sonata, and then just stop and be Yota, Yota. And, you know, it, it's weird because a few years ago when Sonata was like, even for instance, the, the G1 where they gave him the big push and he made it to the finals against Ibushi. What was that, like 20, uh, 2020 or something? I don't even remember. Uh, yes, uh, 2020 or 2021. I'm pretty sure, probably 2020. Something like that. It's been a while. <laughs> um, but during that run, you know, he was closing out shows. He was getting great responses and he was... You know, even though he didn't necessarily have the aura of a of a main eventer and the look that New Japan likes from a main eventer, he was getting the reactions that you'd expect for, for from somebody in that sort of realm. That's not happening these days. Um, you know, me personally, I, I dig the new look, the repackaging of him. I personally think it's more of a sharp image and something that you can, um, you know, basically project a world championship look onto but the charisma which has always been an issue but there was always a quiet charisma that that was there before Mm -hmm. that's kind of gone and maybe it's just i don't know if it's a case of them waiting too long to pull the trigger like maybe the stink of all the all the failure for you know the six or seven years preceding this are, are too much to overcome or if it's just bad timing because they decided to do this right when all of these young studs came roaring back into the company and now suddenly you know the 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 reactions he was getting in march and april are are nowhere to be seen i don't know yeah another thing too i'm wondering how much of him being over previously with some of that lij rub obviously lij you know one of the most popular factions in new japan one of the top merch sellers uh, I remember when we were at the G1 press conference in Dallas, uh, and and they, they invited fans to to that event, and Sonata came out, and there was huge. The crowd was going wild. I mean, you were looking at each other like, "It's Sonata! Like, why are they like wilding out like this?" And so he, he was clearly at a point where he was, like you mentioned, super over in that you know 2020 G1 closing out a lot of shows, and we've kind of seen he's always kind of been an upper mid carter. They had the whole stuff with him and Okada in 2019, um, so. Yes, I'm wondering if it's a combination of, yeah, the the failed attempts of pushes, the not being a part of LIJ anymore. And then, like you mentioned, it's the timing of there's just new and hot stuff happening right now. You you have Suji and Umino and Dorita. You got the Bullet Club War Dogs that are, you know, tearing stuff up. You got Kaito Kiyomiya from Pro Wrestling Noah, who's a, you know, top young stud in in Japan. And people want to see him in Okada again. Like, there's so much more interesting stuff that's happening around Sonata. He just happens to kind of be there. Well, you know, the other thing, too, is um, typically the traditional booking of a first-time champion in New Japan is, like, you you put the title on them. Uh, around April is a time that we've seen that happen many times. Someone wins the New Japan Cup, they get their first reign, and then prior to Dominion, sometime between that and June... You know, after one, maybe two title defenses, they drop the title. That's pretty customary and for good reason, because 
if you give them this kind of push and you put them all the way through Dominion into the summer months and perhaps all the way to January, that's a huge push. And you need somebody that can sustain that kind of momentum. Now, on paper, his reign's not bad. The numbers that they've drawn have been good, even though others will try to tell you otherwise. They've done good business under him. They've had good main events, very, very good main events. Maybe not as top-end as your most legendary title reigns of all time, but far from something like it's. this is not like an evil situation where it's like, oh my God, he sucks, get the strap off of him. That's mm-hmm. not what's happening here. He just doesn't have the kind of hot following and momentum to warrant a sustained push of this nature right now. Now, could that change before the end of this G1? Hopefully it does. But this is kind of the reason why it's usually a more appropriate idea to test the waters with a first-time title ring, get the title off them quickly. Now you've put them on the level and they're seen as somebody that is a viable contender down the road. Whether they win again or not is kind of up to the booking committee. But when you give them this prolonged title reign, if it doesn't, you know, do huge business and if it doesn't, you know, change people's perception of that wrestler, you kind of burn through them and now they're not going to be a viable contender ever again. Yeah. And that's very well what could be happening here with when we're all said and done with Sonata. In fact, that's kind of how they see Shingo, it seems like, even though Shingo is not comparable, like from a certain respect, he was like a wrestler of the year candidate in the year that they gave him his prolonged push, but they still took the title off of him and moved away, moved him out of the title picture, and he's never been a viable contender ever again. It's very similar in that respect, except this is even, you know, less business less great matches, mm-hmm. less great performances, less, you know, fanfare and acclaim. Yeah, honestly, I, I was really surprised that they didn't take the belt off Sonata going into Forbidden Door season, and I think you kind of saw where it ended up, where he slotted against, you know, Jack Perry in the middle of the car of that show, um, and then going into this G1, I don't know, just, I, don't know, I think, like you said, they should have kind of stuck with tradition, kind of got the belt off him, and just kind of had him being a top guy in this tournament. Because, honestly, I think for him, once Suji came back, it was like his stock kind of started going down. Like, everybody... Well, the, oh, go ahead. Also, everybody was all in on Suji at the Dominion match, and, like, since then, like, he's kind of been getting colder and colder. Well, they booked themselves into that predicament that's on them, and, you know, I, I applaud them for taking the risk in doing that matchup at the time and you know there's other things that were work that kind of necessitated them having to do that but yeah there's no denying that suji was the one that got the rub in that match um the 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 benefit that sonata had going into this block was how he had an opportunity to work with all this fresh young talent and potentially set himself up as a perennial mountain for the rest of them to climb because as we stand right now he's undefeated he's got three big wins you know all three of them are over future what you would hope to be title contenders in the future and you know set up feuds for himself later on down the road so that he's not just a transitional a long-term transitional champion but he could 
really set the bar for himself to be like, yeah, I can carry these guys to higher levels. I can make them look and feel better than they actually are. And I can, you know, do business with them later on. And there's money in return matches. But so far, that doesn't seem to be the case. Out of all the matches he's had, the match with Suji on uh, night five is the best match that he's had in this tournament. But uh, again, a lot of it was them retreading over the same material that we saw back at Dominion between these two guys once again. And it was even more, you know, a lot of people like to say that Suji just completely overwhelmed him back in Dominion in terms of fan reaction. That's not true. But on night five, it was overwhelmingly true. And that's not a great look for your IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. Right. You know, especially this young guy coming in who has, like, you know, what, is he, what has Suji really done to kind of get this reaction besides let's have the charisma? Like, he hasn't won a singles match yet since he's been back. Like, he's had some <laughs> he, he's had some moments in, like, multi-man tags, uh, you know, <laughs> after Dominion. But this guy, he hasn't won a singles match yet, and he's more over than the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. Um, and, yeah, the, the match with uh, Sonata, that was that was great. I went four and a half on that. They they teased the time limit, uh, the 20-minute time limit, and, you know, Suji was throwing everything out there. You know, you know, I think Suji worked this match a little bit smarter than the Dominion match. You know, he hit that kind of big move in Dominion. It was kind of really soaking up the crowd. Uh, here, I felt like he was still soaking the crowd up, but he was also a little bit more focused, and he wasn't just kind of throwing the spare out like he was doing at Dominion. He was a little bit more calculated on a lot of his moves. And, yeah, I thought it was awesome. Yeah, he definitely went more to the wrestling base. Um, that was definitely apparent that he wasn't as, um, you know, freewheeling and doing all the dives, although there was some of that. It was much more uh, a measured, grounded attack. But ultimately, Sonata was still able to defeat him. Um, you know, Make no mistake about it, mechanically in the ring, Sonata's been fantastic. The, the matches are very good, but um, it's it's strange because we're sitting at the top of the block. He's probably going to go through the block. The question now, which of these guys is going to be the one to beat him? But the more dreading question is, how is he going to salvage his tournament? Because he's getting outshined by the <laughs> other guys in his block, and that's the issue at hand. Yeah, you know, and I'll never, you know, doubt Sonata's in-ring work. I mean, he's a good professional wrestler, but, yeah, he's just getting outshined by these young guys. These young guys are hungry. They're, they're, they're getting that crowd reaction. You know, they've done a great job with Suji and Umino really connecting those guys with the crowd, and, and they're getting over uh, pretty big. And so, yeah, Sonata's going to have to go out there and do something else. I mean, he's not even coming out with his robe anymore. He just it looks just kind of like regular just coming out there with the belt it's like i've been wondering about that i've been wondering why he hasn't been coming out with the full you know garb and everything too because that was part of the aura now that's gone now he's looking more regular you don't want to be looking regular when you're supposed to be the face of the company yeah so yeah so now it's definitely gonna have some work to do um as far as you know just kind of catching up with these young guys as far as impressing and getting over. But, you know, he is on top of the block right now, six points, and uh, overall having a decent tournament. Nice. So we move on to the next competitor in this block, Kato Kiyomiya of Pro Wrestling Noah, sitting at two wins, 
zero losses, one draw, five points on night three. Kato Kiyomiya defeated Chase Owens in eight minutes and 28 seconds. And then on night five, he drew at 20 minute time limit with Shota Umino. So yeah, Kiyomiya, he's been having a really good tournament as well. Um, the better the two matches here would be that the Shota Umino draw, uh, those guys went out there and really killed it. Um, working on to that, that 20 minute time limit draw and, I thought that was a good move there. Um, you know, Umino is clearly somebody that they are positioning to be a future ace and will probably be a future world champion. And then you have Kiyomiya, you know, the the ace of, you know, the opposition of Pearl Wrestling Noah. So I thought it was kind of a smart piece of booking not to have, you know, the other company's guy beat the guy that you're trying to build up and, and make. So that's the one thing where these time limit draws are helping. I know a lot of people... See, time limit draws as cop-outs, and at times, I guess they can be, but in a situation like this where you're kind of stuck wanting to push both guys, also you want Kiyomiya to look strong because you got to build him up for that Okada match, and then Umino, he's the future, and Umino hasn't won many big matches, so you, don't, you really don't want to beat him here either. So I thought the time limit draw was a good move here. Yeah, the, uh, the, the booking of a highly respected ace level wrestler from a from a uh you know competitors promotion in a g1 situation like this is always very very interesting the the mechanics and the uh the politics behind it the booking it's it's just really interesting to see how it all plays out and um you know he did pick up the win over chase owens on night uh three i thought that match was pretty good um you know chase Chase is one of those guys, if you listen to the early uh, episodes of uh, Keeping It Strong Style, he's like one of my favorite guys in the company. And I think really the only thing that kind of changed my tune on him was the speaking out allegations that, (laughs) (laughs) that came out, which, you know, never really did get resolved and probably are very valid. But, uh, you know, I guess putting that aside... From a mechanical standpoint, Chase has always been one of the smoothest guys. And, you know, it's no secret I'm a fan of 1980s, you know, Crockett style, Southern style wrestling. And that's, you know, Tracy Smothers and and Bob Eaton. Those are the kinds of guys that like brought up um, Chase Owens, you know, Ricky Morton, guys like that. So that's sort of his background. And so it, it's no surprise that I think he's been having a very good tournament here. But uh, I thought the match with Kiyomiya was uh, better than I expected it to be, but Kiyomiya was able to pick up the win there. And then the match with Umino, that was the really precarious one, like you mentioned, Jeremy, because as you laid out, all of those different sort of um, situations do exist here. And, you know, I, I I almost have to wonder if he shouldn't have beaten Shota Umino, but that would kind of, you know, I guess some of that would hinge on the idea can they work together again in the future? Mm-hmm. Can Umino get that win back down the road? Is there an opportunity? And some of that stuff just probably really isn't guaranteed at this point in time. And makes me wonder how Kiyomiya is going to do against some of the other major stars in this block moving forward. Um, but with that being said, I think he had more um, offense against Umino and looked stronger down the stretch for a majority of the closing segment until the final cutoff from Omino. And then suddenly Omino looked like maybe he was able to potentially pick up a win, but the time limit ran out. But 
Yeah, he uh, hit the big uh, DDT um, like like 19 minutes and couldn't cover him, and then got the near fall kick out. It was like 19:57, like three seconds left, and then time. But ran. prior to that, he was getting his lunch eaten. He was getting killed. Yeah, like Kia came back with a big flurry, Tiger suplex, a spinning power bomb. It was just yeah, kind of really working over Umino until yeah, he was able to hit that DT towards the end and get that really close near fall. And the crowd, like one, there was like one minute left. The crowd was so into it and really digging this match. And so yeah, this was great stuff here. They, they've already started to establish a story point here in this A block where some of the uh, musketeers are unable to beat one another. They're going to draws. I didn't necessarily expect them to do that with Kiyomiya as well. And so it's going to be interesting moving forward to see how he does against some of those other contemporaries. Because, I mean, Kiyomiya is like a senior over all of those guys, but he's from Noah. So it's going to be interesting because, like, let's say, for instance, he, he already has beaten um, – he already beat Suji, right? Yeah. So, I mean, he beat Suji, and then he drew with Umino. So, you know, logic would kind of tell you that probably indicates a little something about where the company sees Suji and Umino in the prism of a guy like um, Kiyomiya, and then you have to wonder – how he's going to do against Narita, how he's going to do against Gabe Kidd and some of those other guys as well. And if some of those guys draw, maybe that's an indication one way or the other. Or if they lose, maybe that's like the 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 little bit of an edge that Umino gets because he's the one guy that didn't get beat by Kiyomiya, you know? Yeah. So yeah, it's definitely all, all stuff they can do. But uh, yeah, overall, uh, really good stuff here from Kiyomiya this week. Um, so up next, we have Gabe Kidd, one half of the New Japan Strong Tag Team Champions, part of the Bullet Club War Dogs. He is 2-1 and one with four points on night three. Gabe Kidd defeated Hikaleo, three minutes and 29 seconds. And then on night five, he defeated Ren Narita in 10 minutes and five seconds. Uh, so Gabe Kidd is sort of right now, and I don't want to say this in a derogatory way, but like getting a little bit of show vibes. <laughs> it's not quite as egregious as show in the Super Juniors, you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. like show in, in Best of Super Juniors, it's, almost, it's insufferable. But there's still that aspect of him being like this very talented guy who's going to the well with these cheap tactics and kind of spoiling his tournament. A little bit of that is going on with Gabe Kidd here. Although at the same time, this is an establishing tournament for him. It's probably not completely unlike when they had a Jay White doing his first G1 and there was a lot of storytelling and character establishment, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the Gabe Kid match with Hikaleo, it was fine. There was a lot of pre-match brawling that probably extended the overall match length, even though it's not official. But the um, the match with Ren Rita was one of the few that I was most looking forward to in the tournament, just based on both of their bodies of work going all the way back to like New Japan Strong. And they did have a hard-hitting match, but it was nowhere in the realm of what I expected from these two guys. And maybe it's just because... I I wasn't counting on the idea that Gabe Kid would be leaning so heavily into the shtick, which he is. Mm. And um, 
you know, he's been able to pick up two wins because of the uh, cheating, cheap tactics, and that's fine. But, um, you know, a little more of that than I was kind of hoping. Yeah, but like you mentioned, it, it's kind of an establishing G1 for him. It's one of those things we see Gale do this all the time where he wants to get over an, an aspect of somebody's character. He's going to do it in all the towns. So, obviously, you know, we're going from town to town in these G1s. He wants all these towns to see that Gabe kid is unhinged, that he's this loose cannon, that he's going to jump people for the bell. He's going to cheat. He's going to have these wild brawls. So I think he's really trying to, you know, nail home, nail home and establish this new uh, character and persona for Gabe kid. Uh, but at the detriment of, you know, the quality of Gabe kids matches. So yeah, that Hikaleo match was the match. time was very short, but he jumped Hikaleo from the ramp. They brawled all through the crowd. They had a whole, the pile of chairs he took a nasty uh, back body drop on a pile of chairs on the outside. Uh, but, yeah, eventually he was able to cheat and do that. This new kind of pile driver move he's doing on Hikaleo, get the pin there. Um, yeah, he's then, doing a stalling single leg clutch pile driver. Yeah. And there there was a um, – I, th- I didn't catch it in the match, probably because I was watching it 2X, but I saw something online about uh, a scary botched – like a uh, body slam during this match. Did something yes. happen? Yeah, 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 yeah. Hikaleo, he, you know, he does that normal, that kind of Randy Orton power, uh, power slam. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what the mix-up was, but yeah, he dropped Gabe Kidd right on his head. Okay, see, I was watching it so fast, I didn't catch that, but I saw the tweet about it, and I was looking for it, and I was like, oh, I didn't see it. All, All's well, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, was, it was pretty nasty. It was like he kind of got... Like he got stuck, like snapping him over, and then he just like came down and drive kid on his head. Remember when Luke Menzies did that to somebody in NXT? Mm-hmm. I think he did it to Johnny Gargano, and he dropped him on his head. Yeah, same same maneuver. Yeah, but I'll tell you, when I was wrestling, I, I did that power slam many a time. I never heard a single person <laughs> doing it. <laughs> Oh, uh, then with the uh, Ren Narita match, uh, Ren was smart. Ren watches the product. He he was ready. He, he knew Kid was coming, so he he turned around and fought Kid on the ramp and went to the ring. It was like, come on, you know, let's run this. So that was more of a normal match, and it, it was very hard hitting. But again, it was only ten minutes. It was early on the card, so it wasn't like you know New Japan strong where they're like the main event of a, of a strong taping and they were able to get a full time and have this big epic match where. This was more of a opener match, 10 minutes. Kid once again cheats to get the win. He cheated to get the win, and, and that's fine. I guess the my point with it is basically this. The level of talent of a Ren Narita and a Gabe Kid in their first G1 facing off against each other, you have to hope and imagine that in a few years from now, both of these guys are going to be in prominent positions. And when you look back in the records and you're like, oh, shit, the first G1 – for both of these guys, they had a match against each other. That that's probably a, a little hidden gem, and it, it's fine. I mean, it wasn't anything that was uh, terrible, but it also wasn't anything that was memorable. It's something that's easily forgotten, probably three and a quarter, and and you're gone. And you kind of hope that there was a little bit more of a statement with that sort of matchup. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean that's the kind of match I would put in like Cork and Hall. And, right. Yeah, one of the later matches, and let them just go at it. We when we did our preview show, I said that that was one of my most anticipated matches of the tournament, and uh, it just, it didn't 
play, you know, it didn't pay out that way. So whatever. <laughs> um, one thing though, that I think is worth mentioning is this is the first G1 with David Finley as the leader of the bull club. We'll get to David Finley, but obviously he is working an extremely physical, menacing, dominant style of tournament. And the guys underneath him are also working a, a variation of that, but they can't all be dominant because if they're all as dominant as he is, then it nullifies what he's doing. So I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of these under guys are not having the same caliber of tournament as he is because mm -hmm. there's a hierarchy in that group. Right, they really have to establish Finley as the leader, as kind of the front man of that group, and then Kid and Coglin. Obviously, they're they're being super aggressive, and uh, obviously Finley doesn't really care about winning. He he just wants them to either bring championships or, or bring bodies. Well, they have championships, right. and so now they're just trying to take people out. Um, so they're getting that over, but at the same time, yeah, they can't be all they can't all be three and zero because then yeah, then they're on the same playing field as Finley. After that, we have Chase Owen sitting at two wins, one loss with four points on night three. As we uh, mentioned, he lost to Kato Kiyomiya eight minutes and 28 seconds. And then on night five, uh, he defeated Hikaleo 11 minutes and 20 seconds, which uh, I think was probably a little bit of a shock to a lot of people. Yeah, that was kind of a, a surprising upset there. Um, yeah, Chase has been fine in this tournament. Um hasn't really had any blow-away matches, but again, he's really been positioned on a lot of those uh, first half of the card matches. He's kind of getting this, you know, 10, you know, 8 to 10-minute kind of role here. Uh, but yeah, the, the Hikaleo match, yeah, Chase was kind of able to outsmart Hikaleo. Um, mm -hmm. Wasn't a huge fan of the, that matchup, and I don't know, I'm starting to turn a little bit on Hikaleo. We'll get to him in a second. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, Chase, he is, you know, one of the veterans in this block. And, uh, I know from, uh, you know, maybe booking wise, he's not really, you know, pushed super heavily, but he is winning or you know, has a winning record right now, two and one, he's an experienced guy. So it's going to be interesting to see how his record continues to go once he continues to fight, uh, more of the younger guys. Well, you know, we have eight guys in the block, right? So you're talking about seven matches with a 14-point potential top total. You have to imagine that you need at least 10 points, probably, at minimum, to be one of the qualifiers to get out of a block. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of the guys that are underneath this are on that kind of chopping block. Whereas like uh, Chase Owens, he's at just two and one. So he's pretty much for now, very much still in play, very much alive. And, um, you know, he is one of those guys that we talked about during the, the uh, preview where we said that he could have a sneaky tournament and go far deeper than people are sort of expecting because he does have that veteran role and he does sort of have that. Um, ability to upset people and pick up sneaky wins that you know, and then just suddenly, like you're looking like, oh, Chase Owens, only, you know, he's you know only had two losses and he's won most of his matches. <laughs> he's alive on the final night. Yeah, a few days he'll be like four and two. He'll be like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's doing pretty good, two and one. And um, 
Hikaleo went into that match with no wins. You kind of thought that that might be one of those matches where he picks up a win over uh, a defeatable opponent and sort of gets back on the board, but that wouldn't be the case. And I'll, we'll get to him, but it seems like with three losses, he's very much probably out of the tournament. Probably. I mean, yeah, it's not, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not 100% for certain, but he's probably done. Right. I mean, yeah, if he wins the last four, that would put him four and three with eight points. He would have to hope that other people have the math would have to math. Right. And he would have to hope he has tiebreakers and all kinds of stuff. So it's looking pretty bleak for Hikaleo. Uh, But yeah, the crown jewel still alive here. And I think he's going to continue to kind of have solid matches throughout. Again, he's that that veteran hand, that kind of, uh, like you mentioned, that Memphis style. He can work with anybody. And I think he's going to continue to make these young guys look good. Yep. I think he's a perfectly serviceable undercard singles guy that can have very good competent matches very entertaining he's even doing some pretty innovative stuff he's been using the ropes a lot like doing a backdrop where he drops the person on the turnbuckle and then slingshots back gives him a a a saito Mm -hmm. he's doing stuff with the ropes like he's kind of up in his game i mean he's a great wrestler to watch and i i actually really enjoyed the kiyomiya match and um was shocked that he picked up the win over hikaleo pretty much effectively eliminating him yeah, he also, one of the nights he did uh, do commentary, and he was hilarious on that night as well. Uh, so, yeah, Chase. Yeah, just talking a lot of shit, pretty much putting everybody down. And, uh, you know, uh, basically any beef that they were bringing up with him in the Bull Club, he's like, hey, you know, I, I, there's a reason I've I've gone through all the eras. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next guy here, son of strong style, Ren Narita. He is 0-1-2, has two points on night three. He had a time limit draw with Yota Suji. And then like we mentioned, on night five, he lost to Gabe Kidd. Yeah, so Ren Narita, yeah, he doesn't have any wins yet. But surprisingly, the other three guys underneath him are in the exact same boat. So uh, he is in a precarious position. Uh, Maybe I didn't expect him to be quite where he's at right now, but in terms of, uh, you know, work rate output, I think his matches have been great. I think he's been one of the highlight guys to watch in the tournament. Just unfortunately, he hasn't been able to put together a game plan to uh, to pick up many Ws here. I thought the match with Suji was really awesome. Um, I looked at some of the scores online, and I think I'm a little bit higher on it than the general consensus. I'm definitely higher on it than Dave Meltzer was for whatever reason, but I, I really enjoyed the Suji match. And I already kind of gave you my thoughts on the the rent on the Gabe Kid match, but uh, I was hoping Ren would have more points at this point, and I'm kind of thinking there'll be a little bit of a resurgence, but you know maybe it's just not his year um, to to be one of those top end guys in this block. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear that they kind of slot Narita underneath Suji and Umino. He's mm-hmm. a, he's the less flashy guy, you know his his aura is all about mainly the in-ring. He doesn't cut a ton of promos. He's not He's not super flashy. So I think he kind of gets slotted that way. But overall, I mean, the in-ring stuff has been really crisp. And, yeah, that match uh, with Suji was a really good matchup uh, on night three, pushing towards the time limit. And you just kind of got to see, like, what he could do against a, guy, a flashy guy like Suji. Well, he's the only one of the three that's – faced the other two in this block so far and he drew with both of them so um you know if hypothetically when 
Shota Umino and Yotsuji wrestle one another, if they both go to a draw, then they'll at that point they'll all have drawn with one another, and it will really the the, the difference maker will be how they did against common opponents, who landed the highest in the block out of the three of them. That's going to be the uh, the claim to fame for them at that point. Yeah. So next up, we got the roughneck Shota Umino, who is 0-1 and 2, two points. Night 3, he lost to Sonata, and night 5, he lost to Kaito Kiyomiya. In a, or actually, it was a 20-minute uh, time limit draw with uh, Kaito Kiyomiya. Yeah, I don't have much to say here. We've already kind of talked about those matches. Umino, it's pretty clear the company is very high on him. In my opinion, I think that management, as of now, just in terms of portrayal, in terms of what they give him and how they they uh, promote him, I think they're the highest on him out of the three. But if I were slotting them in terms of my personal fandom and everything like that, I'd put him at the bottom. Mm. Yeah, and I don't know, it's hard because I think all three guys, they have their, their strengths and their, their weaknesses and uh, I think mean, they're all three guys and Suji does not have weaknesses. That's <laughs> fucking ridiculous. Uh, I think all three guys deserve to be pushed, uh, but obviously it's yeah. hard. It's hard to push all of them all at the same time. Um, but uh, I see what they're doing with Umino, and I feel like he's really stepped his game up in this tournament. He's been having some really good performances. I feel like he really has that confidence that he was lacking a little bit when he came back from a skirt. Mm-hmm. And everything is looking pretty crisp. All his moves are looking crisp. He's got, he has a ton of fire. He's really connecting with the crowd. I think you know his whole entrance helps set him apart. And then you know he, he's giving away the, the armbands and the light sticks and the shirts and the hats to the kids in the crowd. So I think he's really kind of developed this kind of fan favorite vibe, and the crowd's really into him. And I think that's going to help him as we come into Tokyo this coming up week for for three nights. I think he's going to get a lot of good reactions. And I think he's set up to continue to have a really good tournament. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. His confidence is much higher. Um, you know, he might have had some technically, quote-unquote, better matches prior to the tournament. But he was an uneven performer. Like, one month he would have a great main event. Then the next month he would be a little bit down and so on and so forth. But in this tournament, he's been very consistent and has seemed to kind of work out some of those kinks that he was having prior to the G1. Um, and like I, like you mentioned, Jeremy, me putting him at the bottom of the three is in no way, uh, you know, me an indictment on the guy. He definitely, he's definitely deserving of the push that he's getting. I think that he's getting great fan reactions, having great matches. I just personally prefer the work from the other two guys over him. Mm-hmm. But I think the company sees more money in him right now. Yeah. Um, with him and the other musketeers all sitting at the exact same point total, you have to imagine that they're all in line for a resurgence in this block. But ultimately I think the fact that they've had so many draws is going to be the key determinant as to why Sonata and Kiyomiya are able to go through over the the Musketeers. They're basically going to have canceled one another out from, you know, progressing in this tournament is what I'm thinking right now. Yeah, it's funny that they all want to separate from each other, but they're, you know, they're, they're so linked. And even with the scoring and their path to trying to get to the quarterfinals, 
they're gonna they're all gonna be the reason why none of them make it <laughs> yeah and then I, I think we should move on to yota suji he's sitting at the exact same point total zero two and one with one point well he only has uh, one where umino umino and narita have two points oh i my apologies okay he's got zero wins two losses and one draw they have two draws each i my mistake um he drew with renarita on uh, night three and then on night five he was defeated uh by sonata 18 minutes and 36 seconds and we've already talked about the matches my main feeling is like i i just love yota suji i think that of all three guys they're all having very good tournaments but in terms of just the match output and the work and the reactions he he to me he's the clear biggest star of the three. Oh yeah we, we talked about it last week like from the time he came back he had that confidence like i am the man y'all just don't know yet and like <laughs> every night that's what the energy is he comes like that the big grin on his face the crowd's eating him up He's doing these crazy dives. Um, he's doing you know, the create the curve stomps. These big high impact moves. That killer spear. Like he has a great move set. Great charisma. Great energy. Um, it seems like he's a good promo cutter just based off of interviews. Uh, so he he's kind of the full package right now. And again, like I know that for them, Umino is probably like their their one A out of these three. But uh, I think it should be Suji, especially based on what we were talking about with Sonata match where he's in Sonata's home prefecture and he's getting the bigger reaction. The crowd is super into him and wanting him to win. Like I think new Japan has big money here with him and it's time for him to start picking some wins. Yeah, I agree. Um, finally, we've got Hikaleo sitting at zero wins, three losses with zero points. Uh, again, he was defeated by Gabe kid and then defeated by Chase Owens. And I'm uh, a, l- a little bit shocked that he's sitting at 0-3, and you almost have to wonder if the plan is for him to start picking up some big wins here in the remainder of the tournament as well. Yeah, I would imagine he'd probably have some kind of, of comeback streak here, whether that's like a winning three and then losing the last one ends up like three and four. He just wins his last four straight. Um but yeah, kind of surprised to see him here. You figure with the absence of a, a bad luck Fale in this tournament that Hikaleo would kind of maybe step into that role of kind of being that big guy who is getting wins, who could be seen as a title challenger. But that's not the case. And, you know, he, he lost Sonata on, on night one and then uh, picking up, you know, losing to Gabe Kidd and Chase Owens. He's just eating loss after loss. He's being you know, outmaneuvered, outsmarted, and, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff I'm not really digging with Hikaleo's performance here. Um, part of it, I think, is on the booking, where he's almost kind of being booked to look like a dummy sometimes in these matches. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other part, I, I feel it's him, you know, we heard, you know, with Lance Archer, he said, you know, Gato would always tell him, more monster, more monster, I want more monster. Well, I think somebody needs to have that speech of Hikaleo, because he goes out there, and he's yes, he has a size. He's tall, but he doesn't come off as menacing. And he, he doesn't have the move set where he's just like tossing dudes around. Like, I want to see him like choke slamming dudes, close lighting dudes. I want to see him like throwing dudes around. He's just not doing that. Yeah, I mean, if I was if I was the size of Hikaleo, I'd be fucking people up. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'll be Dave Batista in that bitch, you know? <laughs> so yeah, I don't, I don't get it. And that is the thing. Um, typically when you have a guy like a bad luck folly in a block like this, they might not be super dominant, but they can get a big win over a champion and kind of salvage their, their tournament run. Well, that, that, that genie's already out of the bottle. He already lost to Sonata. And at this point he's just, taking on a lot of, and he already lost to Chase Owens, the two veterans in the block. So the remainder of the time he's going to be facing young up and coming stars. And yeah, maybe he can, um, you know, redeem his tournament a little bit, but they've already pretty much eliminated him. So he's pretty much just fighting for pride. There's no other champions. There's no other opportunities. And this is a, a, a pretty far descent from a guy that earlier this year, you know, ousted, the bullet club leader jay white from the company so yeah i don't know yeah there's just a lot of questionable stuff with hikaleo and it, it seems like they want to push him but they don't want to push him and i i just don't get what their whole game plan is for him uh we have some questions here uh first from rambo and slam pig it says of the matches from the urewa three musketeers so far which has been your favorite umino versus narita then suji versus narita was great too it seems like their best matches have come from each other so far. Would you agree? Yeah, but it's still early in the tournament. I, I did think Suji and Sonata was a very good match as well. But yeah, of all the matches they've had with one another, uh, that first night's match with Umina and Narita was probably the best. Yeah, that that was yeah probably the best matchup there. Um, but yeah, these guys, I think they've all had really great uh, performances so far. Uh, but yeah, Umino and Rita definitely just felt like they're really kind of building block and foundation for something really great. Uh, next question here, Les Commission 7252. Uh, have the time limit draws been a good use to the tournament so far, even though it's been used in the A block? The 20 minute time limit has been a major player through these block matches. Yeah, I think that this was the appropriate block to tell those stories and set, set those precedences. And um, as far as like, you know, um, what kind of effect they have on the point totals at the end. I guess you'll have to ask Chris Amsa when he's doing his math later on. <laughs> yeah. Um, he also asked, uh, do you guys like Gabe Kidd's version of the pile driver where he holds one leg while he, uh, while the other goes up? Yeah. I love almost everything Gabe Kidd does. Most things he does have that extra sense of, uh, kind of just rugged, nasty, and, you know, maliciousness on them. And that's something that's added with the pile driver. It's not just a pile driver. He's pulling the fucking leg down. Uh, this is very similar to the move that I've always said that I want to do, which is basically a brain buster with the leg jackknifed like that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I dig it. Yeah, it's a pretty vicious looking move, and also I think it fits well for you know his his whole new attitude and persona, and he's going to take bodies. So it's a very vicious uh, finisher. So nice. So we will move on to the B block, and sitting at the top of the block, no surprise to anybody here, the ace of the company, the rainmaker Kazushiko Okada. He's sitting at three wins, zero losses, six points on night three. He defeated El Fantasmo. 16 minutes and 21 seconds. And then night five, he defeated Taichi in 16 minutes and 20 seconds. Yeah, Okada had a good set of matches here. I loved the Taichi match. 
that match was so awesome and crowd was super you know behind Tai Chi they wanted to see him pull the upset up and you know Okada was not taking Tai Chi seriously in this match he was kind of you know playing around with him kind of wrestling light and then Tai Chi was laying those kicks in he hit that big dangerous suplex and Okada had to you know realize okay I gotta turn it up a little bit and throughout the match it was just kind of it seemed like Okada was was taking him lightly and then Tai Chi would just blast him and Okada would have to kind of rebound quickly um super fun matchup eventually Okada was able to get that rainmaker but this match, I was kind of on the edge of my seat. I wanted Tai Chi to win so badly. I was like, he he needs this win, but just, <laughs> just couldn't get it. Yeah, man. Um, you know, one of the interesting story points about Okada is how few and far between his matches are that actually go under a 20-minute time limit. Um, so the fact that he's kind of forced to wrestle a style that 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 necessitates him going under the 20 minute time limit has been very interesting and then from there you know we had that first match with uh great Ocon, which was good but you know it it didn't totally feel like an okada match well these two matches with el phantasmo and taichi two of the best matches of the tournament thus far very much you know vintage okada and um it did a great job showcasing what both of those guys bring to the table against an opponent that they would not normally have singles opportunities to face, especially even in a G1. And if they had in the past, it wouldn't be in these high profile situations. So they got a lot of time um, and they both, you know, basically fought their hearts out to try and overcome Okada. He feels like he's the champion of the company right now, Mm. even though he's not the champion. And he feels insurmountable, so much so that, like, I know it's not necessarily going to happen because I don't know how interesting the story would be if he goes undefeated in the block. But right now, the way they're booking him, he feels inevitable. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Even in the Tai Chi match, where Tai Chi, like, wrestled as perfect a match as you could possibly hope for anybody yeah, to dude, wrestle. Tai Chi was, was so great in that match. Yeah, he put his whole pussy into that shit. He, like, literally was doing everything that he could to fuck this dude up. And he he had him in trouble so many times. He countered the Rainmaker so many times. And at the last second, when he has uh, Okada in trouble, Okada hits him with that fucking, you know, package roll-up. Um, I, I call it the Bret Hart pin. I don't know what the I, real I, name is. I call it, I call it the, uh, the Okada, uh, the, uh, the Omega pin. Uh, it's the Bret Hart pin. <laughs> <laughs> you hit him with that Omega pin and, uh, you know, the one, two, three. And it was like, damn it. Like, even when I'm on a roll, it it's like fighting Mike Tyson and Mike Tyson's punch out. Like, you think you're about to beat him. And, beep, and then you're, you're gone. And you're like, fuck, like, this, this sucks. Yeah, or like, That's or like facing a taker and beat the streak mode. Yeah, it's like fighting Taker and beat the streak mode. You think you're about to beat him and all of a sudden he, like, pops up behind you and, and you know, all of a sudden, he's got a special out of nowhere. Right, Tombstone. <laughs> That's uh, what Okada feels like in this tournament, man. Both of these matches, outstanding. Um, if there's anybody, and I, maybe this is boring for some people. I'm sorry, but it's just the truth. There's nobody. There are other people who are having as good or even better tournaments in terms of performance. But there's nobody that's leading a block. 
that's having as good of a tournament as Okada right now, who just feels like the fucking man. Yeah, it's it's been awesome. Also, I want to point something out. When did Okada start throwing elbows like he just was murdering people? Because he didn't ever do this in his career. And suddenly he's throwing murderous elbows on people. I think it's the start of this year of him being, you know, grumpy, you know, Grandpa Okada facing all these young whippersnappers. He's like, I got to put them in their place. You know, hold, Bro, hold these bows. <laughs> yeah, I I feel like Minoru Suzuki took him under his wing and was like, let me show you my ways. And because he's just fucking people up now. Yeah, dude, he's so vicious, and he has this whole this mean streak about him. It's been awesome to watch. Uh, yeah. So up next, we talked about him a little bit. Uh, tai Chi, also, he's a uh, 2-1 with four points. On uh, night three, he defeated Tangaloa, and then, like just mentioned, on night five, uh, losing to Kazuchika Okada. Yeah, you know, um, I don't want to jump too far back on Okada, but, I mean, if you think about it, he beat Tai Chi, right? He beat Great Okan, and he beat, he beat El Phantasmo. Those are three of the strongest competitors in the entire tournament. And there's probably only, like, two other names that are here that I think are reasonable expectations of guys that could possibly beat him. Just throwing that out there. So um, I almost kind of hoped that Tai Chi would be one of the upset victories here. Yeah, same here, like, Dude, that match was worked so perfectly to where Tai Chi was an underdog and was coming back. He was hitting those common gearies right in the face. He was blasting Okada right in the face with those kicks. And it just seemed like he was so close. Every near fall, I bet the Gato clutch towards the end where he got him. I was like, oh, man. Tai Tai Chi's been great in this tournament. Tai Chi's been great in this tournament. But keep in mind, the two matches where he's been really great were against Will Ospreay and Okada. Taking nothing away from Tai Chi. But he was in the two best. He was in there with the two best guys in the <laughs> tournament, and you know it's going to remain to be seen how he does against other guys like Great Okan or you know uh, Yoshihashi stuff like that. Yeah. But um, yeah, he's been having a great tournament. Um, the Tengaloa match was a little bit more of the stuff I talked about last week, where he's got the bad the bad wheel, and they're gonna keep exploiting the body part. I don't know how high I am on that. That match was just fine, but um, yeah, he's got the two points, so he's not out of this by any means just yet. Yeah. So up next, Will Ospreay, the IWGP United States heavyweight champion. Also two wins, one loss, four points. Night three, he defeated Yoshihashi, and night five, he defeated Kenta. Last year, the MVP of the G1 Climax and, you know, one of the top performers in, in recent years. I think right now he's leading the, the charge as the best performer in the tournament. No surprise because he's, you know, the wrestler of the year leader as well in terms of just in-ring. Um, the match with Yoshihashi was blow away. Awesome. It was just, it was just fucking awesome. And at the very end of that match, he unleashed his new aerial finisher, which is the leap of faith. It's called the leap of faith. Mm -hmm. It's the same maneuver he does to the outside. The sky twister. What's it called? The sky twister to the outside. It's the the sky twister that he's been hitting to the outside, except now he's landing it to a prone opponent on the inside for a finish. And uh, 
that's how he won this match. I don't think anybody was necessarily expecting that. That was really great. Yoshihashi was fantastic in this match as well. And then um, on night five, he went out there with Kenta, which was a match that could have very easily been, you know, a fuck-off match because it's Kenta. But, you you know, if you think about it, that first year when Kenta came into the G1, I think it was 2019, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the best matches he had in that tournament that was like a wind-the-clock-back match was actually with Will Ospreay. And a lot of people kind of forget about that match. This was kind of similar in that regard. I don't know if, and you know, it's easy to be like, oh, well, Will just ups everybody else's game. And there's probably some truth to that. But I also think it's the fact that nobody wants to get completely outshined by him. So they're upping their own game. And like Kenta just seems super motivated to perform at, you know, that classic Noah level. I also wonder if um, Will seems to be willing to take the kind of shots from Kenta that other people aren't necessarily willing to take in New Japan. Yeah. Uh, Kenta was pretty much a bully in this match. Kenta from the opening bell was beating on him throughout this whole matchup. He pretty much had the advantage for the whole match. Will was was the underdog, and it was kind of a Mm -hmm. come from behind, and well, yeah, finally at the end came back and was able to get the win. But yeah, Kenta was fully in control, very stiff strikes, you know, a lot of thrown into the barricades on the outside. He was really kind of walking the dog with Osprey from majority of the match. This is some of my, just my personal speculation and headcanon. So don't say I'm reporting anything. I haven't heard anything, but I have to wonder, you know, you get all these like classic New Japan guys and they, they wrestle Kenta and they probably respect him, but they're like, I'm not going to let fucking Kenta bully me. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. But you got Will Ospreay who like watched those 2005, 2006, 07 Noah tapes. And he's like, I want that Kenta to beat the fuck out of me. Slap me. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, he's willing to make him look like classic Kenta where I don't think a, a, some of the other new Japan, you know, um, alumni are willing to necessarily take that kind of beating. And Will is, and Kenta did you know, Kenta looked very much. It, this reminded me of that excursion match that he had with Mike Bailey in House of Glory, where I was like, "Damn, he's wrestling like classic Kenta." Mm. Well, he wrestled like classic Kenta even more so here. This match fucking ruled, and um, yeah, I think Will's having the best performance of anybody in the tournament. One last thing on him, um, he's very vulnerable lot of these matches and i think that the kayfabe headcanon is that this is all on the tails of the beating that he took against kenny omega at um um forbidden door Door. and because of that he even though he's winning his matches he's been having a lot of trouble he seems to be accumulating damage and it seems to be taking its toll on him night after night and carrying over and i'm wondering if that's going to play itself out before the end of this tournament. Yeah, I mean, that could be the thing that keeps him out of the quarterfinals. You know, we've been speculating and saying, you know, it, it seems too obvious to have both Okada Osprey go through and Osprey uh, as the U.S. champion. Like, he doesn't really need to go through, especially if he's not going to win it. Like, you can have, you know, here he's already lost to Taichi. You can do a U.S. title match there. There's, there's stuff Osprey can do outside of, you know, being in the quarterfinals and potentially going to semifinals. So, um, yeah, I think this could be the down, like the, the equilibrium or some of the this kind of injuries he's, he's building up could be his downfall. Is he, he's coming out to, uh, 
his old music now is that like a permanent thing it seems like it um he came out to elevated at forbidden door um and then yeah ever since forbidden door it's been a regular thing for him interesting well we move on um the next competitor in the block yoshihashi two wins one loss four points uh as we mentioned he lost to will osprey on night three and then on night five he defeated tingaloa 12 minutes and 35 seconds yeah, Yoshihashi has been really fun to watch too. In that Osprey match, he did the, the the smoothest Canadian destroyer I've ever seen Yoshihashi do. It popped me. We even had a listener like DM us like, "Did you see that destroyer from Yoshihashi?" Like, <laughs> yes, like that was incredible. This uh, guy Yoshihashi, man. Ever since the pandemic, he's like kicked it up into a whole other gear. He's been having these hard hitting. Uh, matches, obviously being a part of uh, the, the trio team with Ishii and Goto, and then him and Goto as a, as a duo, as Bishamon. Like, he's just been having some really great, hard-hitting matchups. It's the first time we've seen him kind of in a singles role since last year's G1, and he's going out there, he's having hard-hitting matches. Obviously, he's in there with Will Ospreay on night three, but still, he, he held up his end of the bargain there. And then on night five, that was probably one of the, the better Tangaloa matches we've had so far in the tournament. Uh, I didn't love that Tangaloa match. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think I preferred, uh, well, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. I don't know. Um, but in either case, um, Yoshihashi's been great. He's always been great, um, especially recently. And that Western Lariat that he hit on Will Ospreay was also very smooth. And the sell that Will did, the inside out bump, was mm. really incredible. Um, yeah, Tangelo was getting ready to put him up for the ape shit, and he turned that into his uh, uh, crucifix bomb for the one, two, three. So uh, picked up the win there. So he's doing pretty well in the tournament. Um, I think that a win over Will Ospreay would have been one of those like seminal moments for him. He didn't get that win, unfortunately, but. Uh, you know, Yoshihashi's uh, front-running right now. Yeah, he's got uh, Okada coming up this week in Corican Hall. He's, you know, cutting promos, saying it's, it's his time to beat Okada. So that, that could be the Bro, big upset. He might pick up that big upset. And here's why. Look at the block. Okada's already beat Taichi. He's already beat Okan. And he's already beat El Phantasmo. I don't think... For better or for worse, and we're going to talk about him here in a moment. I, I, I respect, I really like Tangaloa as a wrestler. I respect the man. But in kayfabe, I just don't see him being a viable <laughs> contender to beat Okada. And then the only other person is Kenta and Will. Now, of course, Will stands a very good chance of being someone that could beat him on the final night, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe Kenta does as well. But I feel like just taking a loss to Will isn't enough he needs to either eat a loss to tight or to um yoshihashi or kenta and and maybe they do maybe they give kenta the win but i kind of think it's gonna be yoshihashi as crazy as that sounds yeah i mean you have an okada going in super cocky he's he's three and oh it's you know it's his old pal yoshihashi and chaos it kind of could be the same story of the Taichi match where he just underestimates him, but this time he gets overwhelmed and Yoshiashi gets a win. Well, it's not unlike the times in the past where, like, for instance, Ishii beat Okada in the G1 in a fantastic match. Didn't mean anything in the long run because they were stable mates and it didn't lead to a title shot. Did, you know, it was just a, a cool moment. 
I think that's what can happen here with Yoshihashi. Otherwise, Kenta has to beat him. It's one or the other. Uh, there's no way that they're going to have him go fully undefeated and then, you know, like there would be no drama if him and Will Ospreay both go in, you know, with either just one loss or no no losses. Yeah. To the final night. So Well, they're not wrestling each other on the final night. They're actually wrestling each other this week. Oh, you know, the reason I said final night is Kevin Kelly said that on the air. So I just took his word for it. In fact, I thought when he said that, I thought he was mistaken. I was like, but there's no way he'd be mistaken. <laughs> yeah, they're wrestling on Wednesday or Thursday of this week. Yeah, someone was on commentary with him and they're like, are, are they fighting? And he was like, yeah, on the final night. Mm. And so I was like, okay, I guess it's the <laughs> final night. I must have got my dates wrong. Yeah, that's. I forget who they're each facing. I think, oh, I think Osprey has uh, ELP on the final night. You're right. That's true. I should remember that. <laughs> I forget who Okada has. Okay. Gotcha. So maybe the chances of Yoshihashi winning are less likely, but even still, I mean, you've only got three viable contenders, in my opinion, right now that can beat the man for the remainder of the tournament. Yeah. Yeah. Yoshihashi, Osprey, or Kenta. Unless they want to shock the world and have Tangaloa beat him. I mean, if they want to give Tangaloa something, I guess let, let's talk about him. He's. One and two right now, two points. Night three, he lost to Taichi. And night five, he lost to Yoshihashi. So he's only had the one win so far. And, um, you know, not really knocking him out of the park here with, with these matches. But if they wanted to kind of jumpstart him, give him a big kind of upset, I guess you could have him beat Okada. This is one of those things where because you have less champions in a block, you have less stories that you could potentially build for the the guys that are going to be bottom of the block Mm -hmm. to potentially redeem their tournaments that that's kind of out the window um the way that they're talking about tingaloa on commentary they're making it sound like he's even lucky to even be in the tournament that he's still (laughs) rehabbing his knee and everything like that so that's kind of his big redemption story i i'm glad he's back i'm glad he's doing what he loves to do and it kind of just feels like a uh you know, like a, a moral victory at this point, more than anything. Yeah, you know, he yeah, he said at the press conference that he wasn't 100%, and, I mean, it kind of seems like he, that might be a shoot just based on the way that he's moving. and uh, But also they are, they are working over the knee too, so I don't know, maybe it's just him selling, but clearly he's. I don't think he, there's still some ring rust to kind of shake up. And again, he's one of these guys that's, you know, in the, the first half of the car, he's getting like, 10, 12-minute matches. He's not, you know, getting the, the close to 20-minute matches. So, you know, maybe when he gets in there with Okada and Osprey, we'll, we'll see, like, a really great match out of him. Kenta picked up his first win this week. Uh, he's sitting at one win, two uh, losses, two points. He defeated Great Okan on night three, and then night five, he lost to Will Osprey. So, yeah, Kenta, um, you know, majority of his tournament has been... 2023 Kenta, where we're seeing the shenanigans and the ref bumps, and he's trying to cheat uh, to win. Some of it's backfiring on him. Um, the, the great Ocon match was more of the 2023 Kenta match this week, and then, like we mentioned with the Will Ospreay match, that was more of the um, you know 2005, nine. Oh, yeah, nine Kenta, the more more aggressive Kenta. Yeah. Um... I would love to see more of that. I don't expect it necessarily, 
Um, you know, one and two, he is on the chopping block. One more loss, and he's probably out of this thing. So he really needs to turn things up. And, um, you know, I think he's got a few opponents on, on the docket that he still hasn't gone against in terms of just overall enjoyment, depending on what kind of output he wants to give us. But, um, you know, there's not a lot of opportunity for, like I mentioned earlier, other things to chase. Like, you know, best case scenario, maybe he could pick up, a, well, he already lost to Will, so I don't even know, know what I'm saying. I was going to say, like, maybe he could beat Will and chase the U.S. title, but that's out the that's out the window. Mm-hmm. And there's no other champions, so. Well, he, he's a Defy champion, so maybe he can de- defend the Defy title against somebody he's lost to. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> he has been um he's been utilizing that title as a uh you know as a foreign object in a lot of his matches. You know what uh, it kind of reminds me of is like the most satisfying um mechanic in a video game for using a belt shot has always been in um WWF No Mercy for N64 mm. because they did it wasn't just that you hit them like a regular object, but they did the whole like dramatic Lean dive. Forward. <laughs> with the triple H. <laughs> like the triple H dive with the belt and lay them out. Yeah. And that's what he's doing, but it's not having the same effect. I don't know. Like, you know, it, it's weird. It's like when people use the DDT and they don't pick up the win, but, you know, Jake Roberts does it and he, he lays a motherfucker out. Mm. Like he just hasn't mastered it the way. Maybe his, his, his uh, weapon stats are not, you know, maxed out yet. You know, that might be, it also might be that the defy championship is ghetto, you know, like it might just <laughs> a, a rinky dink indie, yeah, a rinky dink indie aluminum belt. It's not really made out of the full metal and gold mm. that you expect from, you know, say the fed. <laughs> and that's why it's having less effect. Yeah. While we're on the subject, have you ever in your life made a professional wrestling belt? Because I have. Like in a game? No, in real life. Uh, I mean, we messed around with like making a real belt for like GW, but we never actually like ordered it. All right. This is how I made my fake belt. I used like, um, I don't even know what the fuck you call it, but like this like styrofoam insulation shit that you put in walls that my dad had. I used that to like cut out my my belt mm-hmm. and then I covered that with aluminum foil, right, to give it like a silver sheen. And then I cut out pieces of cardboard and I found some gold paint in my uh, in my fucking um, garage and then I cut out the pieces. So I cut out like a crown and a winged eagle and like little decorative pieces. And I spray painted the cardboard with gold and then super glued it to the belt. And then I super glued the, the, the plates to like one of my mom's like designer, like belts that she would wear. (laughs) (laughs) And um, my parents, this is also keep in mind. This is like when I was trying to be a backyard wrestler, I was probably like 12. I was also like, getting into a lot of trouble doing things I wasn't supposed to do. So my parents got suspicious. They started going through like our shit in, in the room and they found all sorts of contraband things I wasn't supposed to have, but they found the gold spray paint in the closet. (laughs) And after my dad beat my ass, like, (laughs) you know, over like, we came home one night and they had laid out everything. Lighters, 
all, all, all the paraphernalia, magazines I wasn't supposed to have, all that shit. And then he's like, the one thing I want to know, what it, are you guys huffing? Are you huffing this paint? <laughs> Bro, I didn't know what the fuck huffing was. So, <laughs> I had to be like, and I'm like, you know, I just got my ass beat. I'm like crying. And he's like, are you, are you getting high off this paint? And I was like, no, I'm using it to make professional wrestling. Belts. I'm a world champion. <laughs> and I had to like, I had to, bring, I, I made two belts, the North Florida and South Florida championship belts. <laughs> and my, dad was like, oh, my dad's like, oh my God. <laughs> and that night, your dad won both belts. <laughs> He became the unified all Florida <laughs> champion. Oh my gosh. Oh man. Uh, so the great O'Con. Yeah, great O'Con, one win, two losses, two points. He uh lost to Kenta on night three and then defeated El Fantasmo on night five. You know, O'Con is not having one of those, this is a future of the company. He's going to be a top guy. They got huge plans for him type of tournaments. This is, he's having a, he's just another, you know, he's a guy with a character that does well in the middle of United Empire. He's having one of those tournaments. He's one and two. Um, You know, he got beat by Kenta. Granted, Kenta cheated, but whatever. And uh, he did beat El Fantasmo. I guess the highlight of that match was El Fantasmo twisting his nipples and him really, really liking it a lot, which was weird as fuck. Yeah, you know, ELP, his whole thing is he he wants to, to rip people's nipples off. And we've seen him do the, the whole purple nipple to people he did in the Okada match. And it's been working a little bit, but then he did it to Okan. Okan's just, you know, doing the face and he, he's digging and he's liking it. So. Yeah, Ocon was a fan of the uh, the nipple attack. Let, let me just say this. I think the purple nipple shit, that's white people shit, right? Yeah. Yeah, like I I never I never hung out with any any like friend that was a person of color that ever did that shit, but white kids always did that shit. <laughs> and it, and it's something that I never fucking rocked with on any level. I also <laughs> I also never liked when um what's that wet willy? Oh yeah, wet willy, yeah. Yeah, that's white kid shit, bro. That's yeah. some gross Dude, yeah. ass I, shit. I went to a, a Catholic school growing up. I was the only black kid in my class, like one of three black kids in the whole school. And yeah, wet willies was definitely a big thing. Yeah, it's disgusting. That's the sort of stuff I would fight kids over like when I was in middle school. <laughs> oh, you think it's fun? You think it's a game? Hold this lariat. Yeah, yeah hold this. <laughs> um, yeah, man. I, I don't know what... I mean, Great Ocon, the opening of his matches, I really dig the grappling. I dig the fact that they're leaning heavily into his amateur credentials, but the matches break down. It's him working over a claw, and he's not winning. And the crowd seemed to react to him pretty well, but management just doesn't see him as a top star for whatever reason. I don't know. Yeah, I, I feel like he's maybe come to that realization, and he's wrestling the tournament like how he's being pushed. Like, I don't feel he's not bad, but I don't feel like he's not like Umino and Suji Narita trying to make a name for himself. He's going out there, kind of doing his thing and getting out of there. Yeah, pretty much. Well, and then uh, the final man on this block, El Fantasmo, zero wins, three points. 
uh, or I'm sorry, three losses, zero points. Night three, he was defeated by Okada. Night five, he was defeated by uh, Great Okan. Effectively, unless something drastic happens for the rest of the tournament, he's out. Yeah, kind of uh, very similar to who else were we talking about? Um, like Hikaleo, yeah. Hikaleo. Yeah, similar position. Yeah, they're both 0 3. Yeah, pretty much mathematically, I mean, not officially mathematically eliminated, but yeah, I mean, if, again, if ELP runs up four, that only puts him at eight. He, again, he he's lost to Okada already, you know, top guy in the block. He's going to need the, the math to really work out in his favor to, to advance. And so I think the remainder of his tournaments can be more about him kind of proving himself. You know, we saw the, the backstage promo where he mentioned finding out that his grandfather died one hour before wrestling Okada. Uh, we kind of see that that more of kind of the, the human side of him. So I think he's in for a redemption arc here. That's exactly what I'm thinking, and uh, not just a redemption arc, but there's a little bit of a headcanon here, and here's what I'm thinking. He was in Bullet Club. He had this persona, and, you know, he pretty much was the headbanger until, like, the last couple months, basically when, uh, you know, Jay got ousted and David Finley came in, he started to have a, a, a crisis of a conscience, and then was ousted and now out of necessity he's kind of had to be in this like liminal space where he's not quite the head banger but he's sort of trying to be a white meat baby face it's not quite fitting but he's still getting reactions i think that there is a for me and maybe i'm doing a little bit of the the fanboy head cannon thing but i might be a bit ahead here i think he's struggling right now to find out who he is without the bullet club. Mm. And that's why he's taking these losses. Um, It doesn't feel quite like great Okan. Okan is like, this is an established dude. This is who he's been for years and years. And like, nothing's changing until something changes, Mm -hmm. but this is a brand new guy. He just left that group. He just became this character and he feels very much like a blank canvas that he could pivot and shift any time that he needs to moving forward. Yeah. And so I think the next step is to define who is ELP without the bullet club and how does he turn things around from here on out? Yeah. I think one of the key things he said in that promo is like, you know, I, I have no friends right now. I'm all alone. And, um, you know, he's on, on a lonely Island. He's not a part of a faction. And so I think that, I don't know if it's going to happen in this tournament, but I think eventually we're going to see him end up somewhere, maybe whether that's starting his own group or jumping to officially becoming a part of Hauntai, joining Chaos, something like that. I think he needs to kind of get into a group to kind of help also define him. Because just in the long run, too, it's not great to be in New Japan and not be in a faction. Right. So that's going to take us to the C block. Top of the block, we got the never openweight champion, the rebel David Finley. He's 3-0, got six points, night four. He defeated Mad Mikey Nichols, nine minutes, 52 seconds. And then on night six, he defeated Evil, 16 minutes and 12 seconds. Um, So David Finley, interesting. Um, He's not having matches, I would say, where it's like, okay, He's blowing me away. He's having top-notch performances and, like, you know, this 
is a guy right now that looks like he is a main event level in that regard. But what he is doing is he's going out there and he's beating people's fucking asses. So much so that I'm like, all right, he kind of feels like a top guy in this company. (laughs) Even if the matches aren't necessarily like quote unquote classics, like there's, we've always had this thing where it's like, well, what does Finley need to do to take the next step? Right. And Mm -hmm. last year he started having these great matches and like, that was all well and good. It was very good. It was like, he's turned the corner, but even for you and me, we're like, yeah, he's improved. Yeah, he's having greater performances, but look at the field of guys he has to overcome just to be a top performer. You know, how are you going to outperform Okada, Osprey, Shingo, Ishii, Tanahashi, Zack Sabre Jr.? Like the list goes on and on. Like it's such a deep field. Now he's just beating people's fucking asses and he's doing it in a really, really vicious way. And it's starting to be this thing where, like, before, I didn't necessarily take him serious. Like, uh, how do I put it? Okay, back in April, it was like, all right, this is a cool character turn, and I'm enjoying it, but the jury is still out, but it's a good move in the right direction. Now, I'm starting to believe it. Kind of in the same way, not to compare him to his dad, but, like, you know, Fit Finley was never the biggest dude. Fit Finley was never, like, an imposing figure. But he would rough people up so bad that you're like, I kind of believe that he, like, is actually that vicious. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I had a a buddy of mine who used to be big in New Japan, kind of fell off a little bit when AEW started. He's been watching this year's G1. He's like, yeah, like, I'm starting to believe you about Finley. He's like, I thought this guy was just a geek. I remember him, you know, Young Lion, Finn Juice, like... This guy, I, I couldn't believe him as, as a bull club leader, but it's like I, I'm buying it now. I'm seeing it. I'm like, yeah, man, Finley's killing it. Like he's fully, you know, dived into this role of being the bull club leader, being this, you know, rebel leading the war dogs, and yeah, he's been absolutely vicious. You know, he's in this C block, the murderous row, hard hitting, you know, never style block, and yeah, he's not going out there right now and having like a bunch of four and a half star matches, but he's having. Some really knock them out, drag out. Like I'm just going to steamroll people and kind of show how dominant I am. Yeah, and he's not doing it in the classic Puro way, where like they go in there and they elbow and chop and you know knee and and all that sort of stuff. He's doing it in a very Western style wrestling where he's taking people outside and just fucking them up out there, and then coming inside and he he's just he's melding together all these different philosophies that he's been exposed to over his, the tenure of his career and becoming a bruiser. And even if he's not the most imposing site, he's doing it in a way to where it's believable. It kind of reminds me of like, you know, punk, you know, 2010 punk wasn't the greatest wrestler in the world, but like he made you believe he was the best wrestler in the world, even though he really was, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah. That's kind of like David Finley. Like, is David Finley the toughest guy on this roster in real life? Probably not. But like, dude, this character, this character work, like, hell yeah, I like it. Like, he'd be the shit out of Mikey Nichols. And here's <laughs> he's towing the line where it's like, I enjoyed the matches he's having because they're so violent, but I don't like him. I'd still like, if I was there live, I would still boo him. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm, he's yeah. not a cool heel. Right, yeah, he's not he's not too sweeting people. He's not trying to sell merch. He's not trying to do 
a bunch of flippy dudes to to get you know get over or anything like that. He's just being vicious and you know ripping up signs, getting in kids' faces. Like he is, is being a great heel right now. And you know we we finally had the big showdown with him and Evil on night six. Uh, you know this whole bullet. That match sucked. <laughs> it, 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 it did, and I know a lot of people are throwing like one star and stuff and stuff like that, but. I for me at least for me, I I knew once that they, they let you know from the very beginning. Like Evil came out with Show, Udro and Dick Togo. Finley came out with Gato and Gabe Kid. So you, you knew from the beginning what you were getting. Um, yes, it should not have been the main event of the show. I mean, Night Six was was a rough show in general. In yeah. Nagato, Nagato Big Hat, the crowd was dead the whole night. weren't reacting. The matches weren't great. Um. So, aside from Ishii and Shingo, right? That was the one great match. Everything else was pretty mid. Uh, but yeah, this shouldn't have been the main event. This shouldn't be a main event matchup. But well, it kind of had to be because the in, the public intrigue, right? And plus the the point total. Both guys were coming in two and zero to the matchup. Um, and so the whole yeah, who's you know the leader of Bullet Club? What where's House of Torture stand? Um. So yeah, from that standpoint. It's whatever, but you, you kind of knew what you're getting into with both these guys and with both units. So there was tons of ref bumps and shenanigans. But I did I did feel though like when they were actually wrestling each other, it wasn't bad. Like the the bad parts were when they did the multiple like the three ref bumps, the interference. That, that, that's how honestly it's how Evil's been in the tournament for the most part. When he's been wrestling, he's been fine. It's just the shenanigans, which is pretty much the story of his career. Yeah. Um. You know, and for me. I, bro, I like I said, I binged all four nights today. I watched this maybe a couple, an hour and a half ago, maybe maybe a little longer than that. So like by the time I got to this one, I was pretty out of it. I was like, <laughs> oh my god, fuck this, <laughs> fuck this match. So it is what it is. Um, you know, I guess part of it is like at the end of it, like Finley won, and there doesn't seem to be any indication of a split or a civil war. Or whatever it was that people were hoping for, they kind of just leaned into a lot of the the bullshit, the smoke and mirrors, and ultimately, David Finley is is the the man. And at least we got a definitive, determinate match between these guys. Something we never got between Evil and Jay White, even though they teased it for the longest time. Yeah, so we got that. Yeah, clearly, Dave Finley has kind of proved to be that the head honcho will be the leader. But like you said, we still don't really know where how the torture stands. If they're still going to be in Bull Club going forward, or if they're going to split well, off. David Finley did cut a promo at the end of the night and said, "Keep your enemies close and keep your friends, or keep your uh, friends enemies clo- close. Your friends close and your enemies closer." Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So it, it seems like they're going to just stick with them for now and, until something changes. Yeah. Uh, is now a good time? To discuss today's ongoing controversy on <laughs> Twitter slash X between uh, Puro Power and Super J Cast and Monthly Purrezu and the addressing of how this match and this feud and this faction have been received by the quote unquote Japanese fans. Yeah, I guess we can talk about it. You know, I didn't, I didn't think we were going to talk about it. I just kind of. I want to talk about it. <laughs> I've just kind of been a silent observer. Because I didn't X about it. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's now, we, we don't tweet anymore. We, it's, we're we, X. We X. Yeah. 
X gonna give him to you. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, what are your thoughts on this whole whole thing? Here, I, have I addressed this on the air before? Because I feel like I have. Have I not? The whole thing with monthly or with a uh, Puro Power. Well, this is a different person. We've we've talked about uh, Dark Purezo Flosion and some okay. of the, some of their comments. Where have I talked about this? Just in private chats. Yeah, I think because Pure Power is a pretty, I think a newer, at least to me, a newer account. Okay, gotcha. Well, because I know I've addressed this before. I just didn't know if I'd done it in a public format like this, or if I, I didn't know if I, like, because I know I've talked about it somewhere. I'm guessing it was probably just in our private chats, right? Yeah. All right. I pretty much at this point, if you go to Twitter, read what was written, but I don't know who does power there seems to be a lot of individuals in the pro wrestling space that vouch for the individual that runs that page as being a stand-up individual and, and they probably are i'm not here to besmirch the the reputation of that individual or say they're a terrible person i don't know them um i saw that the editor-in-chief of monthly Perezu knows them i don't know him but uh i know they they like what they like uh, tweet us a lot, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the issue I've been seeing for a while now is whoever runs Pro power, they say tweets that basically state this, the Japanese wrestling audience says X, Y, and Z in their very long articles. And they always say that this is the reaction, the general consensus of the entirety of Japanese professional wrestling fandom. And it's not just this one tweet, but this has been going on for a a while now, weeks to even months. And people will take this individual's tweets and be like, this is what the, the Japanese fans are saying. And me being like a free thinker, I'm like, that doesn't fucking make sense because who are they quoting? Right, yeah. Think about wrestling fandom. Wrestling fandom is one of the most toxic things in the in, in all of like all of entertainment, all of fandom. It is an extremely, you know, there's a spectrum of vi- visions, views, takes, opinions, and it runs the gamut of all sorts of different people. And what they're doing is they usually say the Japanese fans say XYZ. And it's like there's no way, there is no way that you can report that the entirety of the Japanese <laughs> fan audience base all unanimously feel the same way about something. I've always felt that they probably needed to have been saying that this is a quote from this article or from this website or from this message board and they don't do that. And it got themselves into trouble today because friends over at super jcast and this has nothing to do with us taking up for jcast because if they fuck off we'll we'll say they fuck off i don't give a fuck but they you know basically joel was like hey you're talking about the japanese audience as a monolith that doesn't make sense basically saying exactly what i've said in private to people many times but i guess never done on the air here and they're like who are you quoting and then it turned out that they were the whole article was quoting a comment from a Tokyo sports report. And it's like, you can't come out here and say, basically what they were saying is that the entirety of the Japanese audience was rejecting the new bullet club, rejecting 
the Bullet Club as a whole, including the House of Torture stuff, and saying they want to get rid of it. And I'm sure there's some people that feel that way, but guess mm. what? There's a bunch of people that like Bullet Club. We know this because they show up to the shows, they wear the, the merch, they buy the merch, they 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 have the signs. They have the and towels. They have the towels. And if you go on to Japanese Twitter and look up the search topics, you'll see plenty of positive comments about any number of individuals within the book club or the book club as a whole. So, you know, and then you see people like basically like roasting Jcast because they don't like Jcast for any number of reasons, which might be valid. But at the end of the day, people are missing the point. You can't be a reporter and say the entirety of the fan base feel this way and then just be quoting a comment a few comments from like a few comments from Jap- Tokyo Japan Sports. Yahoo News or wherever they get the comments from and yeah I think this is an, an issue I think not only with this account but some other accounts that we see on Twitter where like they're throwing something out there but it's like okay where is the source like what's the source where'd you like and it, you know it's not really trying to like bear people but just if you're gonna be an account that claims to be a reporter or reporting or you're running this kind of news outlet you want to be somebody that's kind of sharing what a family is saying like you have to say all right here's a source of where i'm getting my information xyz is saying this or is some data I'm gathering, but yeah, to go out and just boldly be like all of Japan, every single new Japan fan in Japan <laughs> does not like what's going on with how the torture bull club, whatever this bull club civil war. You can't do that because I'm sure you can find some Japanese fans who do like it. And so he should have just been like, Hey, read these comments, a few comments in Tokyo sports or Japan, Yahoo, Japan, wherever it was from. And been like it. I've seen a few fans mention they don't, don't they don't like this bull club thing. I wonder if that's a reflection of how majority of the fans feel. Bro, I, I saw some screen captures this week from I think five chan or six chan, one of those crazy underground like chan, you know, like four. It's like four chan, but for Japan, mm-hmm. and they were roasting the fuck out of Eddie uh, Kingston. I mean saying all sorts of they were saying they were roasting a lot of people like i think yeah you shared those comments in the group chat like they were like roasting Eddie. no i didn't share them i i saw them someone else shared it might have been dan or zach somebody shared them and yeah they're like roasting eddie kingston and roasting alex coglin right and and we could take those comments and go online and copy and paste them and be like the fans are saying this but i guarantee you if we did it a Google search or or a Twitter search, we could find contrary evidence the opposite way. You know, right? Well, it's just it's 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 disingenuous to take a few things and report and say this is the overwhelming opinion of the entirety of the fan base and talk about them all as though they're a monolith. And I understand people wanting to stick up for their their friend, um, probably a good person, probably very well meaning, but. You know, it's one thing where you're like, I'm not going to quote my source because my source is someone in the office or a wrestler. You don't want to bring your sources. That's different. But when you're talking about the opinions of the audience, you got to have some sort of evidence to back up what you're saying. Otherwise, how does anybody know where this is coming from? And especially when it's so easily disprovable. And then I see people getting angry 
at like Joel for saying something about it. I'm like, Joel's saying like the most logical thing that anybody with two brain cells could just <laughs> look at, you know, just think about it for two seconds. What are the chances that they are hundred percent right that this is what all the audience thinks? Right. And not even being like, Hey, you know, I, I did a series of interviews. I did a, a survey. I did a, yeah, there's no uh, survey. I did a study. Like, you know, I, <laughs> there's a study. I, I got like 300 <laughs> respondents that all said <laughs> this, like, no, like there, there's no, no data, no proof. There's no data. <laughs> Just like you, you screenshot some comments and you're like, they didn't even screenshot them. They quoted them and then didn't even cite them. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh man. man! So you yeah, guys just do better. Yeah. Anyways, let's move on. <laughs> All right. So uh, evil. Uh, two wins, one point, uh, or two wins, one loss, four points. Night four, he defeated Eddie Kingston, and night six, we mentioned he lost to David Finley. Didn't like the Kingston match. Didn't like the Finley match. Not loving evil in this tournament. I guess there's no surprises there. Two wins, one point tournament's still wide open for the guy but you know yeah i mean right now he's you know still on the top half of the block um you know was undefeated going into the finley match so right now still being pushed up the car be pushed pretty strongly in this block i'll see they got you know four more matches left to go it's gonna be interesting to see where he lies but he does have uh i believe his last match is with shingo i think so um, and we, we'll talk about Shingo in a second, but I feel like that's going to be an important match down the stretch. So maybe that's either Shingo keeping Evil out or that's like the winner gets second place there or or maybe Evil keeps Shingo out. I think that's going to be in a very important match. Eddie Kingston sitting at two wins, one loss, four points. On night four, Evil defeated him. And then on night six, he defeated Hanare 10 minutes and 32 seconds. So, yeah, you mentioned the evil match. That was not great. The Hanare match I thought was really good. Again, that was night six, Nagano, big hat, very dead crowd, low energy show. But that match was pretty good, um, very hard hitting. Overall, you know, kind of what we were talking about, you know, despite some comments you might see online, overall, I think Eddie Kingston is getting over uh, with the New Japan audience. He's getting, uh, he's been getting good reactions. And even on this night where the crowd was pretty dead there were some you know eddie chance and they seemed to be in to the hard-hitting action that him and hanare were doing um so overall I've, I've been enjoying eddie kingston and i think he still has a lot of you know great opponents left to go in this block yeah i think a lot of the the more anticipated matches for eddie are further on down the tournament um, I, I liked the Hanare match. It wasn't blow away. The finish was pretty cool where him and Hanare were trading shots. And, um, you know, Kevin Kelly was saying that a, a knockout could happen at any time. And suddenly Eddie Kingston hit him with the back, uh, the backhand, like the second one, uh, you know, in sequence that he'd hit in the, in the stanza drops Hanare. He falls on him. Both guys were pretty much knocked out, picks up the, the unlikely pinfall, but it seemed like, if he'd fallen the wrong way, we could have got a double knockout. That's the way they they worked the finish, which was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. The only match of Eddie Kingston so far that's really stand out was his first match with Shingo. And so far, their other stuff has been, you know, good, but not great. And I'm waiting to see how he works with the rest of the guys in the tournament. Yeah, I think this is going to be a good week for him in Tokyo. I think he's going to get some really big reactions, especially in Cork and Hall. 
I think he's going to have some good output this week. So uh, next up, we have uh, Tama Tonga, 2-1, and one, 4 points, night 4. Tama defeated Ishii in the, the main event, 15 minutes, 38 seconds. And then on night 6, he defeated Mad Mikey Nichols, 9 minutes and 10 seconds. Tama's not necessarily working these matches as a guy with something to prove like he did last year, but he is working them as a guy that is already established, which is good. The main event match he had with Tomohiro Ishii is the standout match he's had in this tournament thus far. Not surprising because him and Ishii's been one of the guys that has always had great matches with Tamatonga, even mm-hmm. when he was in a in a phase of a singles career where we, we didn't think he'd matured to the type of performer he is now. He was even still having great matches with Ishii at that point. Uh, he beat uh, Ishii on night four, picked up his first major win of the tournament. And then um, night six, he beats Mikey Nichols. So uh, not only is he on the board, but he's kind of turned his tournament around after suffering an early loss. And, uh, you know, Tamatonga is a guy that could easily come out of this block as uh, one of the, you know, semifinalists. Yeah, you know, quarter quarterfinalists, whatever. Yeah, former never open weight champion. We, you know, we saw him get that really big push. Um, at the end of last year, going into the beginning of this year. So, yeah, I definitely think he's a guy that could make it out of this block with uh, David Finley. So, moving on, we got Hanare, one and two, two points. He defeated Shingo on night four and lost to Eddie Kingston night six. I don't know how you feel, Jeremy. I'm not 100% sure, but do you think Hanare and Shingo is the best match of the tournament so far? Probably, yeah. I thought it was awesome. I, I went four and a half on it. Man, it was these guys have, you know, created magic this year with their rivalry at the beginning of the year with the KOPW and the, you know, the ultimate triad matches. And once again here, they kicked it up here on, on night four and we're, we're hitting hard. And yeah, Hanare looked really great in this match. Yeah, you know, um, and I'll talk about Hanari in a moment. But the one thing about Shingo that has kind of defined his time in New Japan is how many great series of matches he's had with different individuals with feuds, whether it was Sho or Suzuki or Okada or Will Ospreay or Taichi or Ishii or Tanahashi. <laughs> the list goes and now, on. And now, now he's moved on to Hanare, and like he seems to pick up, or even um, you know, El Fantasmo. He seems to pick up individuals and have three or four match series with them, and just kind of define the year and just blow up people's expectations. And that's what him and Hanare are doing. He's kind of made, and I don't want to say anything bad about Hanare because Hanare is great, but you know, he's kind of helped elevate Hanare this year. And this match with Shingo was. Just phenomenal. Um, so hard hitting, so violent. And, you know, I'm a big fan of, Shin, of Shingo, but they got me, they got me down the stretch. You know, you know how they say, like, when fans are there live, they'll cheer for a title change, even if they're not at that into the challenger. They just want to be there live for the title change, you know? Yeah. And so they're more into it, even if long-term they're not going to be into the new champion. They just want to be part of history. That's kind of what was happening here. Like, I like Shingo more than Hanare, but I started pulling for Hanare because I was like, man, beat this trick. Like, let's <laughs> fucking do it, you know? Yeah, the, the, the clothing sequence was really great. They're, they're trading open-hand slaps, then Shingo's giving forearms, and they're both hitting uh, spin kicks and hitting double lariats or trading headbutts. 
And uh, then Hanare makes a cover, and he only got a one count, and then we're at 19 minutes, and he hits a big uh, Fisherman Buster suplex, uh, the uh, the Streets of Rage, and gets the win. So big win here for Hanare. So they're they're even now. They're they're two and two this year because uh, Hanare had beat him in the New Japan Cup. Then Chingo won the title match, um, and so. Uh, a lot of drama down the stretch. Almost went to the twenty-minute time limit. He picked up the big win here. I think a lot of people didn't expect it, even though he'd already beat him in tournament play earlier this year. The fact he was able to even it up is a huge, huge statement for Hanare. And, um, you know, like, well, actually, no. I was for some reason I was thinking Shingo was KOPW champion. He's not, but uh. Yeah, it's still it's a huge testament to Hinari, and uh, it's kind of an attaboy for him in this tournament. Um, the next night, he did lose that match to Eddie Kingston, and one has to wonder if in the kayfabe it has anything to do with the wear and tear in his body from the the war he had with Shingo, the the you know the previous evening, not yeah. not the subsequent night, but you know on night four. Right. Yeah. Hinari is wrestling, not like a guy like. Last year he wrestled great, but you know he was looking to. He kind of reminded me in a way of like Alex Coughlin and like uh, uh, who's the other war dog? Gabe Kid. Gabe Kid. Guys that like they're doing their best to like leave an impression and make a mark, but they're they're probably going to be having losing records. That's kind of how he wrestled. This year he's wrestling like a guy that's trying to take the next step in his career and move up the ladder and it's something that's very necessary considering how many guys have kind of passed him up especially with all these young lions he's really he's he's just wrestling like a guy that i could see easily being in the mix for the u.s or the never title any any day now yeah he wrestles like i you know i don't want to go back wrestler um mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he's going out there he's laying it all out there whether he gets dropped on his head or not you know the presentation's been great. The new look is awesome. The new music. So, yeah, I think Hanara is having a really good tournament, and I think he's going to have to continue to have some great matches. I mean, like, maybe this sounds heretical a little bit, but, like, Hanari kind of feels like with the right trajectory, maybe he could potentially pass O'Connor Cobb. He probably he could, maybe. yeah. Yeah. Maybe. The way he's wrestling, maybe he could. I don't know. Yeah. And he's from the dojo. That's right, yeah. So, so uh, um, next up, we got Mikey Nichols. He's sitting at one point or two points, one loss, two or one win, two losses. Night four, David Finley defeated him, and then night six, he lost to Tamatonga. Yeah, uh, I mean, Mikey Nichols, he he's been fine. Um, I, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he hasn't been like bad or anything it's been like kind of the gentleman's three kind of action um i mean some decent hitting you know matchups but nothing's been really stand out or blow it with his matches like we mentioned on with the finley match finley pretty much whooped him on that night four match and then the tail match on night six the crowd did not care about either guy um they didn't have a great spot at the end where mikey went for the moonsault and tama caught him with the gun stun in the midair and then fall with another gun stun to get the win. So that was cool. But besides that, yeah, Mikey's just been there for me. I agree with you. One thing to keep into consideration though, David Finley and Tamatunga are two of the bigger stars in the block and not someone that in the kayfabe he's on the same level as. 
And from a stylistic standpoint, they don't work that hard hitting style where he can kind of showcase and, and kind of make a name for himself. So, you know, he, he ate sub 10 minute losses to both guys. I'm not too worried about him just yet because he showed us a lot in that match with Hinare in terms of violence and proclivity for, you know, running, wanting the smoke. Mm-hmm. Um, and he still has Ishii and Shingo and Eddie Kingston all on the docket. So I think that there's plenty of time and plenty of great opponents for him to still turn the, his tournament around. Yeah. So the next guy, the Dragon, Shingo Takagi, one and two, has two points, night four, losing to Hanare, and then night six, defeating Tomohiro Ishii. It's just one of those things where you can't lose more than twice, and when you're only three nights in, the the chances that you rebound and and win, you know, run through the rest of your, your matches becomes highly unlikely, so... Um, Shingo does sort of have a redemption arc moving forward, and I think that's all going to culminate with that match with Evil that you mentioned. Nonetheless, Shingo is probably having one of the best tournaments along with Will Ospreay and Okada and Tomohiro Ishii night in and night out. He had a fantastic match the first night with uh, uh, Eddie Kingston. He had the match with Hinari, one of the best of the tournament, and then he had another spectacular match with Ishii, which could have gone either way. Um, so, yeah, he's sitting at one and two, but, like, Shingo with Shingo, he's going to Shingo. And um, <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping he is one of the guys that comes out of the C block, ultimately. Yeah, uh, the match with Ishii was awesome, despite it being in front of that dead crowd in Nagano and it just being an overall just not great G1 show. They were, like, the one saving grace of that show, and they went out there. And had a Shingo and Ishii match. They're, they're throwing big bombs, big lariats. Uh, both of them doing big uh, superplex off the top rope. Um, lots of great stuff from both of these guys uh, in this matchup. But um, you know, a lot of you know one uh, kick out fighting spirit spots. But ultimately, it was Shingo who was able to uh, he hit the last of the dragon and then had to hit the uh, pumping bobber to get the win on Tomohiro Ishii here to uh, get his first win of the tournament. And, yeah, like you're saying, um, you know, if you lose more than two, you're probably not going on far. So Shingo's right at that cutting line right now with uh, two losses. And so I think we're going to see a rebound story here for Shingo. I think he has a very good chance of winning four straight or at least you know being three and two going into the final night and he maybe he loses that last night and doesn't get in the quarterfinals but um he's a guy that could definitely get into the quarterfinals and so yeah i could see him uh going four and two getting eight points and being uh the second place guy in this block and going on to uh the the quarterfinals so uh, last but not least, the Stone Pitbull, Tomohiro Ishii. He is 0-3, 0 points, losing to Tamatonga on night four, and then, like we just mentioned, losing to Shingo on night six. You hate to see it because it's Ishii, and he's a guy that I would love to very much still be in play at the end of this. Last year, there was the story of, does he even deserve to continue to be in G1s? Mm-hmm. 
we heard rumblings from those in the know that he was one of the guys on the chopping block in the past as to whether or not he could even get back into the G1. Um, I think that's crazy, but you know, time waits for no man and he is getting up there in years, even though he is still one of the most phenomenal workers in all the world. And he's having one of the best tournaments of anybody that's in this tournament, including Shingo, including Ishii or including Osprey and, and Okada. He's up there. Um, but unfortunately, just from the booking and the kayfabe, he, he's been unable to, to pick up any wins thus far. And he is virtually eliminated. Maybe we have the math wrong. I mean, I'm, I'm saying it pretty confidently that three, three wins pretty much eliminates you. And maybe that's not a hundred percent accurate, but it feels pretty yeah. accurate. Well, you gotta think that a lot of the top guys in the block are, like Okada's not losing more than three matches. Well, Osprey's not right. Like you, you gotta think a lot of top guys are not are only gonna lose two, which means they're gonna be at ten points. Meaning, if you're four and three, then your your chances of going through are not great. If two guys already have ten points, and that's that's also been the talking point that Kevin Kelly is kind of uh, you know mentioned on the air. Like ten points, you're in the money. So. I, I kind of feel like you need five wins, period. Yeah, because I don't think you're going to see many guys that are, are going to go six and one. I mean, right now we do, we do have a lot of guys that are, are three and zero oh and two and one that could get there, but I think at, for the majority, guys are going to eat at least two losses. So I think yeah, your first and second place guys are probably all going to be five and two, and then maybe you're you're going to have some four and three guys that get through um, on a tiebreaker kind of thing. In either case, I'm still excited for Ishii the rest of the tournament. <laughs> yeah, definitely another one of the, the best performers of the tournament. Great matches every night. In D-Block, leading the D-Block, we have Zach Sabre Jr. Three wins, zero losses, six points on night four. He defeated Toriano, five minutes and 37 seconds. And then on night six, he defeated Alex Coughlin, 11 minutes and 13 seconds. Yeah, so Zach's been having uh, a pretty good tournament, both kayfabe-wise and um, just in-ring work. Um, depending on how you feel about the Yano stuff, uh, night four could have been a highlight for people. Um, I thought it was uh, pretty hilarious. Um, you know, he had uh, Vegeta, you know, taping the, the, the corner pads down, so Yano couldn't rip the corner pads off, and we got the spot where you know, tied Zach's feet up on the stage, and Zach's... You know, had, had a long 20 count of him getting back into the ring. So, ultimately, there were some funny shenanigans there. Some new stuff. I've never seen anybody kind of tape the, the pads down and stop Yano. So, that, that was a pretty uh, fun and innovative. I always kind of feel like with the Yano matches, whenever somebody does something that's new and inventive and, and noteworthy, it's kind of more compelling and, and interesting than when you see the same old hat, same old shtick, and the same old stuff you've seen with Yano matches. And uh, yeah, Zach had his feet taped up. He did have uh, Ichiban Sweet Boy Kosei Fujita cut the tape, but he then he feigned as though his feet were still taped up. Yano was unaware. Yano goes to pick him up. He gets uh, rolled up for the near fall, and then from there he gets uh, put into a uh, submitting predicament and then taps out, and uh, Zach picks up the win. So very, very interesting. And yeah, I, I loved that they taped up the 
the ring pads so that Yano spent all his time trying to undo the ring pads, but they were they were taped up, so he was unable to utilize that aspect of his game plan. Yeah, that, that was pretty good. Uh, the Alex Coglin match was just kind of there again. That was night six in Nagano. Crowd didn't really care that much, and it was just kind of a match. Yeah, it was fine. Um, you know, considering the the shoot experience that Coglin has and work he's done in blood sport i thought that maybe we'd get a little bit more grapple fucky but we didn't we didn't get too much of that um the story was fine but ultimately down the stretch it was like coglin was playing the power game zach was playing the ground game and then he lured coglin into his world and was able to transition 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 boom i've got you an arm bar tap out one two three it's that easy so it was it was maybe uh, a case of too much too soon for Alex Coughlin. He's not really on that level when it comes to the grappling game with uh, Zach. Yeah. So next guy here also undefeated three and O Jeff Cobb six points night four he defeated Coughlin and night six he defeated the ace Hiroshi Tanahashi. So uh, Jeff here really great tournament right up there with Zach three and O. I really liked and enjoyed the Alex Coughlin match. I think a bit more than a lot of the scores I saw, including again, Dave. I don't know. Dave didn't like this match. I don't get it. Um, I don't, I'm not gonna sit here and say it was a standout match, but for a sub 10 minute undercard match, they really like were whacking the shit out of each other. Very hard hitting hoss fight. And um, you know, the the moment everyone's always gonna remember from that match is Alex Coughlin press body slamming jeff cobb which no one has ever done that before that was fucking nuts yeah but um jeff has shown the ability to string together you know large swaths of wins in these tournament situations and so far he's three and oh he beat tanahashi he beat alex coglin and um you know he's just kind of going and he already beat naito so you know, a lot of people are expecting Naito to be one of the guys that goes through in this block. And so either Cobb is going to just run straight through the block and just solidify first place, or he needs to pick up a, a couple losses here for Naito to be viable down the down the you know tail stretch. Yeah, Naito could yeah get a, a second place to two Cobb, or yeah, Cobb drops four or uh drops three and it ends up being four and three and he gets second place. So, yeah, there's a lot of different options you can go here. But right now, yeah, Cobb's going pretty strong um, versus very similar to, uh, what was that, 2021, where he went uh, 8-0 in, in the G1, um, had that really impressive uh, streak there. So, you know, overall, Cobb has a really great winning percentages in, in the G1. So, uh, maybe this could be his year. Maybe he does get into the quarters. Maybe. But, yeah, he's uh, performing very well, having good matches. Uh, next up, we have Hiroki Goto. He's sitting at two and one with four points on night four. He did come up on the short end of the match versus Naito, but then on night six, he defeated Shane Haste two minutes and 29 seconds. So, yeah, with that uh, Shane Haste match, you know, they're, they're selling that Goto had a rib injury from the Naito match, and, you know, Shane Haste was working over that injury, um, hit the, the cannonball in the corner. But then uh, Goto was able to dig through the pain and get a quick roll-up on Shane Hayes. So uh, I'm not sure if this injury is a shoot or this was just something, kind of a creative story they had for Goto just to kind of 
do something different and, and mix it up a little bit. I know I think he tweeted out like the x-ray of, of his rib, so maybe he's really hurt or maybe it's just a story. Well, I saw that match and I said to myself, is he is he working or is he shooting? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I do a terrible Stone Cold impression. <laughs> but yeah, um, and then Goto and Naito, they always just have mid matches. It just it is what it is. It's never bad. It's never great. You know, they got there, they work. The match was fine, but you know, it went a little long. And then out of nowhere, Naito hits Destino and just picks up the win. Yeah, but I, th- I thought it was a pretty good match, but not obviously nothing great, not, not to hit the notebook or anything. Right. So uh, next up, Tetsuya Naito, 2-1 and one also, with two points. Like we mentioned, Night 4 defeating Goto, and then on Night 6, he defeated Toro Iano, 7 minutes, 44 seconds. He, he took that loss to Cobb, and I was expecting them to do the redemption story. They haven't gone quite that route, so maybe I was wrong there, but... uh. He did pick up a win against Goto, and then he defeated Yano. Um, the the funny shit with the the Yano match was he let his entire theme run through twice before he like came out. Yeah, his entrance was like six minutes long. <laughs> yeah, it was hilarious. Like just kind of fucking with uh, Yano. Like his entrance was almost longer than the match. Yeah, it almost was. Yeah, because yeah, Yano was like yelling at him, you know, get in the ring, get in the ring, and he, you know, Nigel's doing a slow walk. And Yano runs into the ramp, and Naito's like, no, 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 no. He, like, backs up, and he, like, goes, walks back behind the curtain, and kind of teasing, walking back. And so, yeah, and they play the whole music again. So, yeah, it's, like, a whole, like, six-minute long intro just to mess with uh, Yano. But ultimately, he uh, was victorious there. A lot of shenanigans from uh, Yano, but Naito was able to overcome them and pick up the pinfall victory. Yeah. So uh, next up, hysterical Shane Hayes, one and two, two points, night four. He lost to Hiroshi Tanahashi, and on night six, he lost to Hiroki Goto. I think Shane Hayes is having a, a, a fine tournament, but um, nothing has really been stand out thus far. I don't think they've given uh, too much of an opportunity for him to showcase the best of his abilities. The match with Tanahashi was very good. Um, I almost started to think that given the fact that Tanahashi had lost the previous match, that maybe he was going to pick up another win here. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess so much for Rich Latta's <laughs> prediction about the ace, but, uh, yeah, uh, he, he was defeated in short order by Goto. So, you know, it is what it is, but, uh, you know, Shane's on the, t- on the chopping block. So, yeah, yeah. I thought he's been fine. I mean, we've seen Shane have some really good matches, like on the Largo Loop here in, in NXT. Um, I, I think he's a really talented guy, but I just feel like he hasn't been in the right position in this tournament so far. He's had a lot of the kind of the opening matches, getting the 10, 12 minutes, or you know, this whole this short two minute match with Goto. Uh, I think he'll, he'll have some better matches in, in the later stretch here. One of my favorite things I've ever seen from Shane Haste was I was at an NXT Tampa house show. And this was just after Keith Lee and um, Dijak had wrestled on NXT and they'd done the Spanish fly off the top rope. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And it was like gift and everyone was talking about it. So they had a singles match at the house show and it's Keith Lee versus Shane Hayes or whatever his name was at the time. And um, he he puts Keith Lee on the top rope and... <laughs> And he gets on the top rope and he goes, Spanish fly. (laughs) (laughs) 
I remember he that. He tells everybody he's going to do a fucking Spanish fly to Keithley, and he tries to do it. Keithley just tosses him off. <laughs> it's uh, so funny. Oh, man. So uh, next up, Hiroshi Tanahashi, one and two, two points. Night four, commencing defeating Shane Hayes. And then on night six, losing to Jeff Cobb. Is Tanahashi regenerating? I feel like he's been getting better, right? What the fuck is going on? <laughs> Why is he moving better? What is happening? Yo, this master worker. Is he? I, I feel like one of two things is happening. Either he's spending time in one of those hyperbaric time chambers, like in, in Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> Or it's like, uh, did you ever see any given Sunday? No. Oh man, in any given Sunday, like the the quarterback, the old ass quarterback, he's like, he's like, give me the shot, and they're like shooting him up with hydrocortisone or whatever the fuck. And they're and like, they know his like whole body's about to break down, but they're just shooting him up with, with roids and all this shit. Like, I feel like that's maybe what's happening. Is like they're just they're pumping him up with like amphetamines and all sorts of stuff, and like, you know, just giving him shots and like just sending him out there. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I feel like he's been moving so much better, moving faster, a little bit more crisp than he's been the last few months. And, yeah, I don't know. He's been looking pretty good. He hasn't looked this good since last year's G1. Yeah. It well, is weird, bro. <laughs> something about the G1 that kind of brings out that magic in Tanahashi. Yeah, and, and don't get it twisted. He's still not wrestling like Tanahashi, but he's kind of wrestling like Tanahashi. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> he had a good match with Jeff Cobb. And he had a great showing against Shane Hayes. I don't know, but uh, yeah, he's on the chopping block, so it is what it is. But yeah, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. So next up, Alex Coughlin, one half of the strong open weight tag team champions, part of the War Dogs. He is zero and three, zero points, losing to Cobb on night four, and then losing to Zack Saber Jr. on night six. One of the uh, guys that are eliminated at this point, and. Sort of what I said would happen if a lot of those guys from the A block had been dispersed throughout the tournament, they'd be put in a similar predicament to Alex Coughlin, where they're forced to take a lot of losses. And, you know, we kind of talked last week about the inflammatory remarks he made during the uh, press conference. I don't know if that has anything to do with why he's sitting at 0 and 3, but the one thing he is doing well, and the one thing you'd want to do if you're in a, his position is. Make a make a mark for yourself, even in law, even in losing. And he's going out mm. there and doing extremely impressive things and getting his character over night after night, even though he's losing it every night. And that's the best I guess you can hope for in a situation like that. Yeah, he's getting the character over. He's showing off his power game. He mentioned that match of Cobb. He, he did the press slam to Cobb. So he's really getting his power over. Um, again, I think. It, this week in Tokyo, we're, we're going to have some better reacting crowds. I think a lot of his power, his power spots are going to get more over. And, you know, that's what got him over in the first place. You know, those, those JR Kratos matches where he's throwing around, uh, you know, a guy that's bigger than him. So I think in, in Tokyo, we'll probably get some better reactions to some of his uh, power spots. Nice. And then finally, we got Yano. Same position, zero wins, three point or three losses, zero points. And he lost on night four to Zack Sabre. And then on night six, he lost to Naito. So he's already effectively eliminated, pretty much just playing spoiler. And, you know, there's not much to say about Yano. He's going out there and he's having Yano matches. And it is what it is. 
yeah, at least we're getting some kind of new stuff, like we mentioned with the whole with Saber and getting the uh, the stuff tied, the, the the pads tied down, and um, and with Naito, you know, the whole kind of the whole entrance thing. So there's been some new wrinkles to the Diano formula, and it's actually uh, been pretty fun to watch. The last thing I, I think we'll say here about this before we move on to some questions, it seems like, and I'm just going to guess here, night five is pretty much been the best night of this current stretch of shows, and then night six was the worst. Yeah, night six was, was really rough. All right, nice. So we got some questions here. We should run through those. Yep, so Oscar Rooney on Twitter, he says, Hi, questions. First, should Kingston do the dusty elbow? No. Um, I mean, other people have done it, but I don't know. Why not? <laughs> uh, he says, should Naito do more comedy matches? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the state of his knees, maybe comedy matches will, would be good for those. <laughs> you uh, know, uh, Dave is saying that Tanahashi should do the grapple fuck. Maybe Naito should, should, should transition to, uh, to the comedy. Yeah, could prolong his career. <laughs> and then Goto becomes a garbage wrestler. <laughs> uh, and his last question says, do you like the long pause in commentary? I don't mind. I don't know what he's talking about. I, don't know, I feel there, there are times where Kevin Kelly will kind of like lay out and let the action kind of speak for itself or he'll kind of he'll let a moment sink in. Um, well, he is calling the, the shows by himself. Mm-hmm. And I'm watching the shows on 2X, so <laughs> I didn't notice them at all. Yeah, I mean, they're, it's, it's kind of his normal style, I would say. Like, he'll say something a lot of times. He'll like let a sequence kind of play out or, you know, there's a big, like, double down spot. like, And then he'll get, to get really into it towards the end. So, I don't know. Uh, I think Kevin Kelly is great, and so I, I enjoy the way he does commentary. A lot of the personal issues I had going on this week. Seem to be pers- hopefully resolved. Uh, they weren't even personal; it was like dog emergencies, essentially crazy shit going on. But um, hoping to watch the shows in regular speed moving <laughs> forward for the rest of the time. But uh, yeah, I I didn't pick up on those. Uh, Heavenly Halibird in the Discord says, based on the expectations going in, who do you think so far is over delivering and who is under delivering? Um. Guys that I think are over delivering to a, like basically where I would say they're doing better than I maybe expected would be like Hanare and David Finley. Yeah, those they'll be the two for me as well. Um, under delivering, I'd probably say Sonata. Probably Sonata. Uh, maybe Tamatonga a little bit. Yeah. Uh, besides that, yeah, it's probably those are probably the two there taichi taichi and yoshihashi although we both know how great they are they're they're i think they're over delivering a bit as well mdata's pr says shingo versus ishii was a proper g1 quality match ishii is without a question a g1 all-timer does shingo have the same case i don't think so far he does but he's probably not too far out of that conversation um Maybe he does. I don't know. I've never run those numbers. I mean, in my experience, since we've been doing this show, the guys that have been the most standout were Kota Ibushi and Ishii for the longest period of time. 
Yeah, well, I think Ishii has the advantage of having more G1s under his belt than Chingo, because what, Chingo's first G1 was, what, 20, 2019, 2020, 2019? One of those, it's, yeah. it's 2019, so so Shingo has less G1 experience, but high quality in that less experience, so I think the more Shingo is in G1, he will catch up to a guy like Ishii. That's like a Chris Samson question. He probably knows those kinds of stats better than we do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Less Commission 7252 says, was it me or did it sound like the crowd from night six sounded dead? Or was it, was it that the matches never got to that gear of intensity? A little of both. Yeah, definitely both. Also says, how do you guys feel about the crowd reactions during the G1 tour so far? Do you guys think that Cork and Hall crowd will be the best crowd of this G1 tour? I would pretty much agree with that. Yeah, probably. Yeah, overall, the crowd reactions have been fine besides that night six. Uh, but yeah, I think Tor- uh, Corkin's going to be great this week. Cork, yeah, I don't think they've done great crowds just in general in terms yeah. of drawing. Yeah, crowd numbers have been a little, a little down in some of those smaller cities. Uh, Natural Dash Spot 4894 says, which nights do you prefer and why? The odd nights A and B or the even nights C and D? A and B, uh, because you get uh, the established current day like stars in the B block as well as the future guys that are hungry in the A block all kind of working to up their game. Whereas in the C block, you got a lot of bruisers, but in the D block, you have a lot of older guys. And so it's just it's a little bit more down for me, I think. Yeah, I think A and B, there's just a lot of a lot more energy there. There's a lot less um what's the word I'm looking for? Like I don't know, well, well let like detriments to those to those blocks. Like also you do have like your um, you know, the bull um Gabe Kidd and um Chase Owens and Hickle. Some of those guys kinda of maybe weighing the blocks down, but overall, uh, you know, with, with Osprey and Yoshihashi and ELP Okada um, and then all the young guys, the Musketeers and Kiyomiya, like those A and B block nights end up being pretty great. Uh, let's see, next question here. He said, uh, "Who has been a surprising MVP so far?" No, uh, nobody really. Right, I think it's kind of who we kind of thought would be MVPs are kind of the MVPs in the, in each block right now. Yeah, the top four performers in the tournament are the top four workers in the world. And in the company, so yeah. Uh, next set of questions here from Triple H Takeover: Should Kaito beat all the Musketeers due to his increased years of experience compared to the others? You know, th- I do think there's an argument for that, but um, that it already hasn't happened. You know, he's already drawn with one of them. So, um, you know, if if moving forward he just beats two of them and then draws with the one, that's still pretty strong. Yeah, I would say maybe if this was a if was him like joining New Japan, maybe he would have more wins over those guys. But since he's still um, a, a Noah guy, and, and you want to protect your future guys, like it's it's a hard call just to have him go in there and beat them all. Well, I mean, at the same time too, I I think that would also depend on if there were assurances for them to work together again in the future. Then maybe that might be warranted. But if not, then I agree with you. He also asked, who from other outside companies would you like to see compete next year? Um, I mean, there's a lot of great talent out there. I've always said I'd love to see Kato Kiyomiya in this tournament. Um, or 
he's in the tournament. I've always said I'd like to see Kento Miyahara in the tournament. That's a name that's out there. Um, he seems to kind of have like uh, taken a, um, a downturn, but uh, Sakamoto is another guy that I always wanted to see in this tournament. And, yeah. You know, I don't know, but I think some of his better days are sort of behind him now. Um, I wouldn't be opposed to Nakajima coming back into the tournament. Yeah. Uh, I would say yeah, Miyahara would probably be the, the top outsider for me just because he's had so many great matches and it's kind of been on that smaller All Japan stage. I think you get him on on a bigger New Japan uh, platform. He'd be great. Yeah, and I mean, you know, if if we were to like, we could go the AEW route, but it's becoming increasingly more difficult to believe that they're going to bring send any of the guys that you'd really want to see in this tournament like a brian danielson like that just probably isn't in the cards anymore yeah also uh should tanahashi take a break after this g1 uh it depends on if he's tired but i've heard he never gets tired so <laughs> he's never been tired a day in his life actually so yeah never tired never give up never quit uh yeah i think the, the ace gonna keep on ticking uh, next question. Uh, judging by the current standings and forms, who should realistically advance out of all the blocks and who would win the whole thing? The one thing I will say is um, the fact that El Fantasmo is already pretty much eliminated is sho- a little bit shocking to me. Mm-hmm. But the other the other guys that I have wanted to advance out of the blocks or that I expected, they're pretty much leading the packs in most of their blocks. So. Or, or alive. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think it's still pretty, what's in the prediction, like D-Block, I think it's it's going to come down between Saber, Cobb, and Naito. Like, two of those three yep. will get through. Um, C-Block, it's looking like it's probably going to be like maybe Finley and Shingo. And maybe Evil. Yeah, um, B-Block. Maybe maybe Tamatonga. Yeah, those four guys are in play. B-Block, Okada. And Eddie Kingston's also probably going to be alive, but he's got David Finley on the final night. Yeah, I think he's losing to Finley. Um, Okada, Osprey. Um, I mean, they're probably going to be the two guys that go through. Taichi could sneak his way through. Taichi could sneak through. Um, then A block, it's, it's going to be Sonata and uh, Kiyomiya. Yep. Uh, as far as who's winning the whole thing, I don't I'm know. I'm still leaning Naito. Probably Naito, but we'll see. Um, let's see. His last question, should House of Torture succeed from Bullet Club? Uh, no, they just got their asses handed to them. <laughs> uh, I mean, I wouldn't mind if they, get, they got kicked out and they kind of just are on their own, but... I mean, for their standpoint, yeah, I'm sure they, they would want to stay in Bullet Club. Uh, Death Triangle 720, do you think Gato is too afraid to change the dynamic of Bullet Club and House of Torture? I I don't know. Uh, I mean, I feel like it has changed, though, with the whole, with the War Dogs, and I, I feel like it's kind of changed up than what it's been recently. Um, also, asked, how do you feel about Kaito's booking in G1? He's been booked pretty strong so far, so I mean, can't ask for much better. So you know, so far, but uh, uh, we're gonna get into it here in a moment. But the big match is coming up him and Sonata. Yeah. Uh, overall, yeah, he's been done doing what pretty well booking wise. So yeah, not much to complain about. Uh, next question here from Bugs Heiser. Heiser, uh, what do you think the trajectory of ELP is going to be? 
I've always been a fan and had high hopes, but him upsetting Osprey and taking a spot in their block is a fool's dream. Does he stay solo, join Huntai, join another faction? After seeing his promo about his grandfather's passing, I can't help but want more for the poor lad. I I, I think it's exactly what I already uh, alluded to earlier in the show. Yeah, um, I think he's either going to pull upset or, um, depending on how that block goes, maybe sneak through. Um, well, no, he can't sneak through. He's 0-3. Well, depending if, if everybody else gets three losses, then... Maybe Bro, there's no way. There's no <laughs> way that everyone else. It would be. It would have to be a god. It'd have to be a a fucking miracle. <laughs> I don't think. I think he's done. Yeah, but maybe he spoils Osprey though. He could spoil Osprey. Yeah, but I, I definitely think after this this tournament, he's probably going to end up joining some some faction. Uh, next question from that dude named Menace. He says. Opposite of MVP, who is having a bad showing in the G1 so far? Um, Evil. Yeah, Evil's been pretty rotten. Um, and he says, way too early, but who would you like to see in next year's edition of the G1? I'd like to see Dakajima and Miyahara. Also, thanks for the shout-out. I'm the one that said that the intro song sucks, LOL. <laughs> um, yeah, we pretty much answered that question already. Yeah. Uh, Dom Homie 101, use a sentence to describe your feelings towards each block. No. How about we change it to, to one word? Yeah. Uh, one word is fine. Uh, so A block. <laughs> uh, exciting. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> uh, B block. Great. I'll say uh, awesome. Uh, C block. Hard hitting. Uh, never. <laughs> uh, uh, D block. Mid. <laughs> Old. <laughs> uh, which block is the most valuable? Which block needs to step it up? Which block is left with no hope? Oh my god, this is, this is so heavy. Um, I don't know. We we pretty much laid out our feelings on the blocks. I'm not gonna. There's too much analysis on the blocks. I, I don't <laughs> want to talk anymore about the blocks. Uh, thoughts on the uses of the new timeline? We kind of talked about, about that already. Is, is it me or does it seem like Kaito Kiyomiya versus Umino could be a future Tokyo Dome main event? Could be. Wait and see. Maybe let's see how it plays out. <laughs> Let it play out. Uh, so whose stock is rising? Whose stock is falling in this tournament so far? And who needs to step it up? You know, the only people that I feel like they're stocks are changing too much are mainly the a block competitors and even that's going to depend on how they perform against other mainstays within new japan coming out of the tournament for the most part everyone else in the tournament has seemed kind of pretty much where you expect them to be yeah um i think hanari's taking a step up yeah i think his stock is rising um i think sonata is a guy who needs to step it up uh, we, we yeah. talked about that earlier. Tai Chi is, you know, doing very well. Yeah. Uh, last question. Is it me or does, does like, Ren Narita will be one to beat Sonata in this tournament to get a tile shot in the near future? I think it's just you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think uh, Narita's going to be the one to beat him. Uh, Even if he does, I don't think he's getting a future title shot anytime in the near future. Yeah. 
Uh, last set of G1 questions here from Barry Wall. So as I heard this week that Kiyomiya had been getting some flack in Japanese media and has had suits in Noah criticizing him also. Considering what happened with Gabe Kidd and sadly with Hannah Kimura, is it surprising that with all the emphasis on mental health, that Kiyomiya gets so much bad coverage without taking into account the possible effects it can have on a performer? Um, I've heard a couple rumblings, but to be honest with you, I, I don't keep up enough with the Japanese media to speak with any sort of authority or, or knowledge on the subject. I couldn't tell you if that's the case or not. Yeah. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, um, wrestling media, they're, they're going to analyze and criticize a match and there are also people who can get in their camps for promotions. And so there are people who are probably going to be harder on him, but again, I don't know exactly what the Japanese media is saying about him. Um, last question here, he says, Shingo, did someone remember he came from Dragon Gate, or has he pissed someone off? His booking last while has been very bizarre. I don't think so. I, I, I think that the fact that he was ever even champion was was bizarre. Yeah. If, that was bizarre. If it wasn't for the pandemic, he probably would have not been world champion. Yeah, the fact that he ever was in the main event and main event at the Tokyo Dome and carried the company, that's bizarre. <laughs> this is where I've always expected them to keep the guy. Like, I'm glad that we even got that in the first place. Right, yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I hope it happens again. But, um, yeah, I'm not too surprised. Um, well, that's going to do it for G1 coverage. This coming uh, week, we have quite a few shows on uh Tuesday, July 25th, we have night seven. We've got uh, B-Block action, Will Ospreay versus Great Khan. Following that, Gabe Kidd versus Umino. Kenta versus Tai Chi. Chase Owens versus Yotasuji. El Fantasmo versus Tangaloa. Ren Narita versus Hikaleo. Kazuchika Okada versus Yoshihashi. And finally, the main event, Sonata versus Keito Kiyomiya. Then on night eight, Wednesday. Oh, oh, oh. Before we move on, what, what are you looking forward to from the show? Uh, I'm looking forward to Osprey and Ocon. First time really seeing that United Empire guys clash against each other. Oh, I hadn't even thought of that. I think for me, it's still the main event: Sonata versus Kiyomiya. Um, you know, Ace of Noah versus the current champion. That's a big one. Also, o- I'm o- also- Okada and Yoshihashi. I'm yeah, I'm right there with <laughs> you. I'm like, is uh, spoiler? Is there is there a upset alert? You know, uh, coming up. So that's a big one. On uh, night 8, July 26th, this coming Wednesday, we got Evil versus Hinari, Hiroki Goto versus Alex Coughlin, Shingo Takagi versus Mikey Nichols, Tanahashi versus Yano, Kingston versus Ishii, Naito versus Haste, semi-main event, Tamatonga versus David Finley, and then your main event, Zack Sabre Jr. versus Jeff Cobb. That's going to be good. You got, you got the two undefeated guys in the main event there. Somebody's O has to go. Yep. Um, I think Eddie Kingston, Ishii, that should be a banger. Uh, it's probably, it has been every time they've ever wrestled. Yeah, that's right. This will be their, what, third match? Third. Yeah, so that should be great. Um, Looking at the car, is there anything else? I feel like, um, well, we've seen Tamatonga and David Finley before, and they've had, they had one really good match in the past, so maybe, maybe, I don't yeah. know. Um, but, yeah, that's going to be a good night. Uh, night nine, this coming Thursday on July 27th, we got, Owens and Umino, Taichi versus Yoshihashi, Gabe Kid versus Kiyomiya, Tangaloa versus Okan, Hikaleo versus Suji, Kenta versus Phantasmo, Sonata versus Narita, and your main event, Kazushka Okada versus Will Ospreay. 
Uh, I think there's no doubt there that everybody has Okada versus Osprey circled on their calendars. It's going to be Ota City Gym in Tokyo. This should be a great main event. I agree. I think that's the biggest match going forward. Uh, Sonata versus Narita. So Sonata against another member of the the Musketeers. That's a big one. Um, I'm going to call it right now. I think Gabe Kidd is going to beat Kiyomiya. Upset alert because Kiyomiya hasn't taken any losses. And I'm kind of thinking he's going to beat Sonata. So, you know, sometimes when, when in these tournaments, these guys get these big wins and then they turn around and they eat a loss that's unexpected. Mm-hmm. I'm calling and, Gabe Kidd to beat Kiyomiya. And plus, underhanded and tactics. And there's history there with Kidd talking all that smack about Kiyomiya on that one podcast. Mm. So, yeah, maybe he, he does get the win there so we can uh, talk some more crap. Taiji Yoshihashi should be a bit of a banger, too. Oh, oh yeah. And then uh, night 10, the final night before we return to this show next week, Sunday, July 30th, we got Dave Finley versus Hanari, Yano and Cobb, Eddie Kingston and Nichols, Naito and Coughlin, Ishii versus Evil, Zack Sabre Jr. versus Shane Haste, Shingo versus Tamatonga in the semi-main event, and then your main event, Tanahashi versus Goto. Yeah, I think probably Shingo Tamatonga is probably going to be the highlight from this card. I agree, but I think Saber and Shane Hayes being stablemates, that might be an interesting match. Mm-hmm. Uh, see what Zach get, gives to Shane on that night. Um, other than that, the evening is maybe not looking like the hottest night ever. Yeah, it's looking uh, a little... <laughs> this, <laughs> this could be the night six of this week. <laughs> uh, well, let's jump into the news here. Um, just a couple quick things, additional names and... Uh, were uh, named for the All-Star Junior Festival as well. We got the first match announced. So um, we had the names of Mao, Jordan Oliver, Yo, Clark Connors, Blake Christian, all announced for this show. In addition to that, Nick Wayne was announced, and he's involved in a match where him and Jordan Oliver will be taking on El Desperado and Mao. And uh, aside from that, on July 29th, NJPW Tamashi presents Lions Den, a special showcase for the rising prospects within the New Zealand dojo. Are they airing that? I didn't think they're airing that. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure, but they announced it. But maybe maybe eventually, you know how they do with Tamashi. It takes for it takes a while to get their stuff up. <laughs> and then it takes even longer for us to review it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> still haven't reviewed the, uh, the Robbie Shingo match yet. I still haven't watched those shows yet. S- same. <laughs> Uh, last uh, two questions here, and then we'll do a recommended match of the week. So, uh, Copper Squire on Reddit says, "Any updates on the Folly Dojo Young Line recruits? Bill Lobos, Taylor, and Richards. It also looks like the Folly Dojo is going to be doing a showcase showing for their new recruits soon." Yeah, as we covered in the news, there they are doing a, a New Zealand Dojo showcase. Uh, not sure if that'll be made available to us. The the Strong Academy. Dojo showcase is available on both, I believe, YouTube as well as NJPW World. So maybe, but um, other than that, I mean, no, I, I, I'm not on the inside scoop to know what's going on with the <laughs> the Dojo Lions from Follies Dojo. But I'm sure the last three shows from um, uh, Tamashi probably are a, a good indicator of you know where where they were at most recently. Uh, I think eventually we are going to get around to reviewing those, but, uh, you know, we just haven't. Yeah. Uh, the last question here from Lazy Binger. If Osprey leaves post-Russell Kingdom as speculated, 
Do you think ELP would be a good contender for UE? Nothing against Ocon or Cobb, just wondering if that's the reason why ELP is unaffiliated so that he can take over UE in case Osprey leaves. Um, I don't know. I mean, I could kind of see him being a good frontman for a group potentially, but um, I don't. I don't really necessarily think that Osprey is leaving the company first off, and then if he did, I don't know that they they don't put Ocon in charge of it just because there are so many foreign spokespeople already in charge of so many groups within new Japan. You've got Zack Sabre jr. You've got uh, David Finley, so on and so forth. And, and, you know, adding Zach to the mix, that's three, that's pretty much unheard of for the company. It would seem like the more logical decision would be to, move to a domestic speaking, you know, central figurehead as opposed to putting ELP in charge. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Ocon's already kind of the, the mouthpiece for that group anyway, uh, for for the Japanese side of things. So I think that would be an easy transition to have him be the, the overall leader. Well, Plus, like, there's always the thing about, like, I don't know how strict they are in it, but there's the international aspect of the whole thing. And it's like, I mean... ELP's Canadian, I guess you could go that route, but it doesn't fit the motif of what the, the like foundations of the group were founded on initially. Yeah. Uh. Well, that's going to take us to a recommended match of the week. Uh, so last week for the excursion pick, uh, you I picked uh, Will Ospreay versus Leon Slater from Rev Pro Epic Encounter. I um, really enjoyed this match. I'd heard some very good things about it, and uh, th- this match was fantastic. Um, big shout-out to RevPro. Um, I've watched quite a few of their uh, pay-per-views and specials, and usually the production is pretty shitty. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. And they seem to have gotten a much better handle on their sound leveling as well as their filming. So uh, this wasn't, you know offensive to the senses to watch it was not that egregious um will definitely was working more of a heel um position than he typically has been most recently in new japan um leon slater this is my first time catching him so i hadn't i didn't know too much about him and this match was kind of laid out in some ways similar to the if, if you've watched will have these matches on the road against you know big big indie star from whatever local indie he kind of has a match that he does with those guys but typically it involves him going beat for beat with them in terms of athleticism and then eventually overcoming them in the end this was worked differently than that it was laid out similar similarly but they did it to a point where Leon Slater was actually outshining Will Ospreay when it came to the athleticism, which is something that they haven't been doing when he's had his other excursion matches. And I think the reason why is because Leon Slater, I don't know much about the guy. I've never seen him before. I can't talk about his body of work. But on this night, he looked polished as fuck. He looked like a guy who, like, I don't want to say exactly like this, but reminded me of like a young Ricochet 
to mm. something. You know? Yeah. Like, and let me put it to you this way. Michael Oku. Okay, Michael Oku, he's had his fantastic matches with Will Ospreay. You know, even the, the one they had last year is probably rated higher than this for the emotional aspects of it and for good reason. But and I have I think Michael Oku's great, very athletic. But every time I see him wrestle, he doesn't seem to have this presence of body control and uh, athleticism that Leon Slater does. Neither does like Blake Christian, who I've also seen wrestle Will Ospreay. Neither does any number of other like uh, indie guys that I've seen work with with Will. Um, Leon Slater, I think, is past Will right now when it comes to being able to do the flips and to be able to do the high spots. That's where he seems to be at. He, he's a diamond in the rough. I've never seen the guy before. Maybe it was just a one-night thing, but he looked phenomenal. And the story was Will was trying to be the aerial assassin, and he's not the aerial assassin anymore. <laughs> and Leon Slater was was beyond him when it came to that stuff. And he looked much sharper, much, much crisper, and more uh, able to go on that level. They worked at a very, very, very fast pace, very high level. And ultimately, what shifted the entire match down the stretch was Will being the big boy bruiser, monster heavyweight. And he just started hitting this dude with bombs. And it was the strikes and his power move off, uh, you know, move set that made the huge difference. And he started peppering that in throughout the match. Ultimately, he ended up hitting one of the sickest Liger high angle Liger bombs, dropped the guy on his neck. That was incredible. That was gift everywhere all over the internet. And then um, down the tail stretch, they kept, you know, reversing, reversing, reversing. And ultimately, Osprey hit him with a huge hidden blade and then got him up for the, uh, he's calling it the Storm Driver 93. Yeah. Which is basically a Tiger Driver 91. Um, doesn't make sense because the reason it's called the Tiger Driver 91 was because it was innovated in 1991, not because Mizawa was born in 1991. <laughs> but he's calling it the Stormbreaker 93 because he was born in 93. And it's like, you should be calling it the Stormbreaker 23. Yeah. But but whatever. <laughs> and, you know, here's what I will say. Dangerous move, but he did it right. Yeah, he did it a lot safer in this match. He did it safer for a lot of reasons. Number one, he didn't drop the guy in his head. Number two, he didn't hit the 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 mat first because he did it the way Mizawa does it, where Mizawa jumps backwards and up in the air to allow the other person to hit the mat first so that the, the impact hits his knees when he comes down second. Um it just it looked a lot better, a lot it, it was performed a lot better. So yeah, I heard some some um voices and people out there that were like Oh, I didn't hear anyone complaining about this one. It's like, well, he didn't fucking kill the guy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, same move, different execution yeah. altogether. <laughs> um, great match, really great match. It, it, it was probably just shy of like your all-time sort of level, but I could easily go four and a half. This was easily better than a majority of what we've seen in the G1 so far. Um, a very, it's a high contender for excursion match of the year. If you haven't seen it, do yourself a favor, go out of your way and catch this one. One of the best Will Ospreay excursion matches this year. Nice. Uh, then for excursion, or for the recommended match of the week, you uh, picked G1 Climax 24, August 8th, 2004, from um, the 
B block. It was Kensei Sasaki versus Yoshihiro Takayama. And this match was a banger. This was one of your you know, kind of the, the classic like 16-minute banger G1 matches. Um, both these guys trying to prove their, their strength and power here. Start off with a test of strength. Uh, Takayama was able to get the, the kind of the first big move of the match with, uh, with a big uh, suplex. Do another test of strength. Uh, Saki gets control. Then Takayama starts laying in these big knee strikes, big kick to the back of the head, doing big PKs. Uh, big knee strikes to the midsection, gets him uh, in a trio woe, so a running knee to the midsection. Then Sasaki comes back with a lariat, uh, does this awesome top rope, like one legged drop kick thing, does a big lariat, knocks Takayama out of the ring. Uh, series of lariats to the outside. Um, then uh, Takayama comes back, they do, they do a striking exchange, they're doing this big like lariat. Uh, big boot uh, striking exchange. Takayama finally gets him down with a big kick to the head. Does a, a V trigger like maneuver uh, for a near fall. Then Sasaki gets a big NZ lariat combo crossbody to the outside. He hits a Northern Lights bomb for a near fall. Um, then uh, Tiger suplex gets reversed. Takayama hits a nasty looking dragon suplex on this man. And then it's a German suplex at the the bridge to get the pin here. This was an awesome kind of big man, never style, back and forth, hard hitting matchup. Um, I'd go like four and a half on this. Um, really awesome matchup. Yeah, this match is definitely incredible. One of the things I didn't tell you last week, but uh, I mentioned to you just before we start recording. Even though Takayama picked up the win here, this was on the opening night of block action for these two guys back in 2004. Uh, Takayama actually suffered a stroke immediately after the match backstage and had to withdraw from the remainder of the tournament and uh, you know, had to receive emergency medical, medical uh, attention. He almost died after this match. That's how fucking hard they went in this That's one. It's crazy. Yeah, it's a crazy match. <laughs> but uh, yeah. All right. So um, this coming week, I am recommending the excursion match of the week, and I am recommending the main event from this year's CMLL Fantascomania as the current reigning world historic welterweight champion, Rocky Romero defends his championship against the former champion and challenger, Volador Jr. from July 30th. Nice. Looking forward to checking that out, Rocky. For June 30th. Yeah, June 30th. Yeah, Rocky and uh, Volador have had some great matches this year. Great rivalry. Um, then for the recommended match of the week, I'm also going to the 04 G1 Climax. Going to go with uh, Night 8, Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Hiroshi Tenzon. Hmm, okay. Well, that's going to wrap things up for us this week. Next week, we'll be back to uh, review the uh, next nights of the G1 Climax. So if you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuitbucks.com. Slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping a Strong Style logo. Make sure to connect with us on social media. On Twitter, we're at KI Strong Style. The network is at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan. On threads, we're at Strong Style. Follow the network at Suplex. Follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan. 
on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. Also find us in the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group on Instagram or at Social Suplex on Reddit. We are, uh, I am the pro black guy, just keep a strong style. You can email me, Jeremy, at socialsuplex.com. Check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. All Things Elite, hosted by Floyd Johnson Jr. and Austin Sumowitz. And The Wrestling Disaster, hosted by Danny Kugler. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.